Hello everybody, this is Loki Wave Loki, and welcome to the No Hit Podcast. Here is my job to interview extraordinary gamers in the realms of challenge running. Whether that be no hit runs, completing games in their entirety without taking a single hit or point of damage, speed runs, completing games that normally take hours and mere minutes, and other such ventures. Today's guest is True Sound. That's T R U S zero U N D on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. True is no hit runner of the games from From Software, including Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Three, Bloodborne, and current venture into Sekiro. Having completed the SL1 no-hit run, requiring completing the game no-hit whilst never levelling up the character, and going on to complete all bosses no-hit in the game. True is also the founder of Team Widers, a community of dedicated challenge runners, which has since gone on to do various events, as well as gone on to raise more than $10,000 in charity events, member fundraising, for various causes. In this conversation, we go through True's introduction to the Dark Souls series, approach to and difficulties in these no-hit runs, the mentality challenges when completing no-hit runs, True's video game collection in retro gaming, as well as True's own involvement in charity raising, which has resulted in True shaving his head for charity, as well as the Australian tradition of a shoey, which I will let True explain later. I hope you enjoy this conversation with True Sound. Right, True, uh, appreciate taking the time out for this. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going, dude? Yeah, doing good, Loki. Thanks so much for having me, man. It's, it is definitely an honour. I appreciate you having me on. It's no worries at all. I wanted to start with something I found just whilst I was doing some prep of this, which was to do with collection-wise, as I noticed you had some quite nice uh, GameCubes and like orange theme, purple theme, and was just wondering if uh, if collection is a thing you do and if it has a theme or how it started. Oh, okay, yeah, definitely. I've always been a big fan of, of, of video games, obviously, and uh, ever since, I suppose in the last few years, really, uh, I got into more retro gaming but you can call gamecube retro now it's um you know gamecube in, in in particular i like collecting old nintendo stuff in some ways uh that's where i probably would spend the most of my money on on retro stuff being uh, like i have i have like an old nes which i never i never had one of those as a kid or anything like that I, my first console was was playstation one when i was uh when i was a little kid and i remember we went to the store uh with my parents and we were so excited to get an n64 and we came home with the playstation <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it was uh that was a disappointment but ultimately it, it sort of it's funny how that defines who, who you are as a gamer ultimately mm. because because I, I, you know, I have every PlayStation and I'm such a huge PlayStation player up until, in fact, I would say streaming is the only thing that really changed me to, to PC gaming. I was very casual. So, um, but yeah, the story goes that I didn't ultimately end up with anything Nintendo except for the Game Boy, so the handheld stuff uh, when I was a kid. So what what now I sort of started collecting stuff and GameCubes are pretty cheap, like here, and we get... Japanese stuff really cheap here because because of the I guess the distance from us to Japan is is fairly low compared to everywhere else in the world. So I would pick you know I I decided to pick up some some stuff that was pretty rare and I hadn't seen before and that that orange GameCube is probably my favorite uh, of the um <laughs> of the collection in that regard. But I have some other stuff as well and I like to restore older consoles like um and I've looked at I spend a lot of time in my free time sort of working on stuff like that. I've done different hardware modifications to different consoles to get different more clean output to to video and i have some old 
uh, CRT TVs that uh, arguably is the way that these consoles were made to be played. Um, so yeah, I'm a re I'm really get I really get into it in that regards. It's uh, it's 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 uh, definitely a, a, a great hobby though. I haven't I haven't really shown too much of it on stream. It's the sort of thing I just do in my downtime. So it's not just like taking them to a store or anything that you're actually physically fixing them up yourself. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So I, I'll spend a lot of time. There, there are these weird YouTube channels that are like ASMR channels where they fix stuff. I certainly don't do it in any ASMR style, <laughs> but um, it's uh, I, I take them apart. You know, I like to clean the shells um, as much as I can, and you sort of learn these different tricks about how to you, you know get them looking as as close to as as you know restored as possible. Uh, one of the hardest things that you'll find is any GameCube you buy has this what's called a jewel on top and it's um it's basically the where the GameCube logo is on top and it's always destroyed like <laughs> it's scratched to, to, into oblivion and so there are a number of different things you can do but like for that example sometimes they're irrecoverable you know it's it's got like a pretty deep cut into it or a like almost like a gash into it but if you've just got one that's just really scratched you know that sort of thing you can polish and it takes some time and, and work um you know because you don't want to you don't want to sort of wear it down too much so it's it's sort of almost a by hand um sort of thing but ultimately you can end up with a pretty sparkly uh gamecube jewel there which which you know if you get the right collection of of parts from various gamecubes you can sort of put together a, a really nice showpiece i guess but in terms of the other modifications, yeah, that's they're, they're often sort of like hardware mod chips or something like that that pulls the, the digital signal off the video processor inside the console and converts that to RGB, which is in, it's uncommon in the USA, but in the UK, you, you guys would know it um, because it has, uh, it's, it's essentially a SCART input and that's that's sort of how I've been playing. Well, recently, I guess a lot of my time has gone into getting the N64, the SNES, and the PlayStation 1 all RGB modded so that I can run them on my on my CRT that I've got here, which which accepts an RGB input. So because you get such a such a more defined color and you know, I try and find the best sort of variant of the console that performs as sharp as possible and there's a, there's a number of different things. Uh, there's there's some really good there's some really good YouTube channels out there uh, that sort of talk about this sort of stuff. Um, one that I would highly recommend looking at if you're into this sort of thing is. Uh, my life in gaming uh they're one of my favorite youtube channels they have a ton of stuff on on you know retro video games as well as like video game uh preservation and sometimes it's just nice to play the original you know uh i mean you look at what happened recently with gta <laughs> you know and the trilogy that just came out oh. i think it's the uh, <laughs> this is why video game preservation is so important right because you end up with this I guess tarnished version of yeah, what yeah. Uh, you know of, of what of what was once was. Whereas you know, like for me, yeah, you know, to be able to own the physical copy of of a game that came out, you know, twenty five years ago or or something like that, and be able to put that in and it, and play it, you know, it's it's as it as it was intended at the time, and I feel like you sort of get something special from that. Maybe it's not for everybody, but it's it's certainly one of my uh it's definitely one of my hobbies for sure one last question on on this retro aspect before we move into challenge running from those odd consoles what would you say would be your favorite game from each of them 
Oh, um, so I guess I'll start with the SNES. There's definitely two that stand out for me on the SNES. It would be Super Mario World uh, and The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. I'm a, I'm a huge Legend of Zelda fan, but the I don't know what it is. Uh, something specific about that one Mario game is just my favorite. I think it's because my I, I once was handed down an SNES when I was a kid from my cousin, and that was one of the games on there, and I just really enjoyed it. It was one that I remember playing a lot when I was younger. The, the N64, uh, it's Ocarina of Time. Um, it's it's basically I I actually own a um, one of my prized possessions in terms of collectibles is the US collector's edition uh of ocarina of time it i i paid mm, i was lucky enough that i bought it a few years ago the us when you pre-ordered ocarina of time collector's edition you got a special like box with it with like a textured front um which they didn't do anywhere else in the world that i'm aware of and it's like it's 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 like shiny and textured and and like it's like a hard front on the n64 cover i didn't see that anywhere else but i mean at the time i think about i paid about 250 usd and i got both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask from the US at that point. But the Ocarina of Time is, is my favorite. And it's crazy because, I mean, I, I take the booklet out and inside that, it's the receipt from Toys R Us from 1997 <laughs> for the pre-order. So it's, it's just cool to have that, you know, it's sort of that, that I love. It's, uh, it, you know, it's something I probably never let go of. Um, uh, but I'm glad I bought it a few years ago because... Right now, there's a huge boom in video game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know what you would call it, <laughs> whether it's a scam or whether it's just like you know shilling. Uh, there's, there's, it's, it's becoming very hard for somebody like me to go out and pick up something that I actually want to without spending a lot of money. So, I mean, something I don't have in my collection is uh, Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow in box condition. You know, that that and to get those games now, it's in anything that's reasonable for a collector is, I mean, it's ridiculous now. So, yeah, that's that that would be that for the N64. But, yeah, just the, the, the prices are insane now for some of the stuff. In terms of the PlayStation, my favorite game on PlayStation 1 would probably be Crash Bandicoot 2 even though my first ever game I owned was Crash Bandicoot 1 I don't something about Crash Bandicoot 2 was always my favorite but then also uh, on the on the flip side of that, the one I've played more in my life would be Metal Gear Solid. That was uh, another one I spent a lot of time playing as a kid with my cousin uh, through summer holidays when I was younger. So uh, it's definitely uh, th those those would be my favorites on those older consoles for sure. Oh, Crash Two is nostalgia. Although I I also can never forgive it for that final boss fight. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy, you know. I go look, I go back and play it all the time, and I I often have it. Um, if I'm if I'm streaming with no green screen, I'll often have it on on my CRT TV in the background, like just running the loop. I and knew it's I recognized it. I, uh, sorry, yeah, I was doing some yeah. prep, and I was like, I saw it moving, and I, I knew I recognized it. I just didn't know where it was from. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's it's just crazy because you, you know, you look at what the um uh you, you know, you see all the all the different things like the the polar bear level where you you know, you ride the polar bear. Oh, this always will stick in my memory that um as well as the jetpack level was was mm -hmm. something I had, when I was when I was a kid like I felt like it took my it took me ages to get to that fifth world where it's sort of where that jetpack yeah, level was sort of introduced but it was so cool because it was it was so they, they took it so much further than the first game in in so many great ways it's 
I feel I feel for people that didn't really get to experience it for what it was back when Naughty Dog were were making it. You know, it's sort of um, I don't feel like they capture that now. Um, you know, Toys for Bob, who now make it, are doing a great job for sure with what they did, especially with the remakes. Um, they they were very faithful to the original. And it, those were those were a ton of fun to play. But Crash Four, it didn't hook me enough. Uh, you know, I haven't played through that, but also unfortunately, I am on the uh, a souls addict now so it's uh, really hard to play anything other than souls yeah it's uh, a <laughs> keeps you in and might you stay there <laughs> uh, it's it's uh it's it's a vicious cycle for sure uh just a, a little point on the collection thing i'm quite unfamiliar on on the general area but there was a good video by carl jobst um about That's right. the yeah. retro collection market kind of thing which i'd recommend for anyone watching if you want to look more into that quotation scam as i don't know like legally whether you can call it that because i'm just not sure about it but yeah there's a really good video he made on that yeah yeah without spoiling too much of that long video the essentially the people that are involved with the with there's in collectibles grading is a huge thing right because it's something that sort of guarantees a collector that what they're buying is what they're getting. Uh, I have a bunch of trading cards which are graded by PSA. PSA are essentially the premier grading company that's sort of known worldwide. They're, them and BGS, uh, they, they are sort of the, the the premier sort of grading companies, which people are like sort of trust in knowing that if you get something that's gem mint, it's going to command an extremely high price because typically it's going to be in perfect condition, but also look very attractive um, in, in the way that the presentation is. So like not scented weirdly or something like that, right? So one of the, the in in the in the Carl Jobs video, basically the the the, the reason that they th feel it may be a scam is that the the grading company and the the auction site that are involved with one another in some way. So um, you know, it sort of benefits them to sort of hike prices, I guess. It's an, it's definitely an interesting one. Like I I I didn't look into it at all until I saw that video just because I've watched a lot of his videos and even I like enjoyed it and was hooked by it. So both very interesting and very interesting the way he presented the video as well. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So moving on to Hitless, what was the first introduction to Hitless or no hit running for you? Oh, well, super easy. Dark Souls 3 was my entry into the into the Souls series. And in fact, after sort of, I guess... So when I started streaming, um, you sort of, sort of to go a roundabout way of sort of explaining this, when you start streaming, at least in my experience, you start by sort of doing variety, typically, unless you've got like a lot of direction and you just want to do something. Maybe you get into the Souls community and you just want to stream Souls, so you do that, right? Yeah, I started and I had this idea that, you know, I was going to play all these old games I loved. Uh, and I was going to share that with people and people were going to love that and it was all going to work out. And, you know, that's what I was going to do as a stream. I was going to do retro stuff. That was going to be fine. And I, I did that for a while and you find out pretty quickly you have to sort of dive into a niche. And so I spent a lot of my time playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. But as you get further into that, you sort of dive into more difficult things, right? Uh, let's do the game with three hearts only, you know, let's do the game, let's run to Ganon straight away and see if we can beat that, right? Um, you know, just, just as it is, you know, because you can go straight to the final boss or whatever. 
uh, or you know on master mode when they introduce that so you, the sort of hard mode um how quickly can we get to the the first Lionel on the great plateau and beat that when we have barely any weapons and like no health right <laughs> so uh there, there's that that's sort of that, that sort of grew me into sort of more doing challenges and and then you know i started to meet people and you know we sort of saw dark souls and i see saw, saw people play dark souls and i never really understood why <laughs> like i didn't really understand dark souls 3 the, the first few times i watched it right it looked grim it looked gray and i was like what what's the what's this is this what's the story to this game like what why are we doing this you know because and it, it can be very uh you know, it can be very hidden, especially if you're just watching it on stream and somebody's just doing something in particular and nobody seems to talk to you or, you know, there doesn't seem to be any anything really happening, right? So that was, it was interesting. But, you know, what one of the, uh, one of my close friends, Anna, she, um, she started playing Dark Souls 3 and she actually enjoyed it. And so I watched her play it a bit and, and you know, I sort of got to the point where I'd given it a little bit more of a chance and I was like, well, you know, look, I mean, I actually feel like I could be pretty good at this game. This is something where the, you know, I just felt, just got this feeling that I would be all right at it. And so I started with Dark Souls 3 and that was the first, that was the first Dark Souls game I got into. And from there, I think after Dark Souls 3, I played Sekiro next. I have played them all now. Um, and I, I think Dark Souls 2 was the last of the, of the lot that I played, but the, but Sekiro was a disaster, dude. It was, um, I, so I did the worst ever, uh, recorded Sekiro run. Basically, you know, parrying was not a thing. Uh, <laughs> um, even though I could, I got through my first playthrough of Dark Souls 3, I got decent ish at parrying. I got my head around what it was supposed to feel like, mostly due to the Pontiff fight. But the, uh, but in Sekiro, it was no, I just had no way of like, there was, so I, so I did a hit and run run, you know, like it was sort of, uh, you know, and everything took uh, a thousand years to beat, right? Because that's just not how you're supposed to play the game. Like you can play the game any way you want, but if you want to really enjoy the game, you have to, you know, buy into the mechanics of, uh, of Sekiro's combat system. Yeah. I think it was a thing of people who like played Dark Souls prior were actually more hindrance because like we went into it going, oh, I know how From Software works. It's dodging this, dodging that, and it was like, but people who went in there fresh was like, oh, it's telling me to parry, I should listen to the game. <laughs> right, absolutely. And I mean, the I guess that sort of, it's interesting because when uh, when you look at Elden Ring, uh, which we, we some of us had the opportunity to play last week, that is totally like that, right? You get to, you go in and it's, it's an evolved version of the combat system of Dark Souls 3. Um, it feels more modern, but, y you know, it is, for all intents and purposes, you know, Dark Souls 3's combat system. And you'll get into it and, you you know, you'll know what you're doing. <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, they've, they've invested a lot of Dark Souls 3 into Elden Ring to uh, give themselves the time to get the rest of the game to the size that it is that that in itself is is um is something that's a bit different about Elden Ring for Sekiro for sure you know I remember fighting um the sword saint Ishin at the end and just the three phases like uh, I just had to I, I was just running around that field for like I think it took me 45 minutes uh to just go through those three phases which is just ridiculous you know it's uh you know having fought 
through a lot of the game again and it's the current game i'm working on for 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 no hit for the any percent uh you know some of those fights don't take that long <laughs> it's just <laughs> you know it's it's all precision it's it's not it doesn't need to take that long but you really have to yeah the, the combat system is you know is reflex based more than anything so it's you know in, in that respect i i feel like it, it certainly is uh, so different, right? And that's why that was the that would that was really the worst ever run recorded of Sekiro, I believe. Uh, thankfully, I don't think that exists on the internet anymore. Um, but uh, from there, I think I played Dark Souls one after that, and then I went back to Dark Souls three, and I decided that I would do Deathless, right? Which is, and I, I, I you know, I remember saying, yeah, I'll probably never do Hitless. You know, I remember saying that at one point. The challenge running itself sort of bug catches on. If you start to get, you know, you start to get these, um, you get that that taste of what it's like to go through the game without dying. You know, it's then it's pretty it's pretty uh, pretty crazy to get through that and feel like you know that 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 when you reach that peak, it's it's something else for sure. Uh, and I remember going from that and being like, well, I guess we I guess now we we do hitless and hitless was so different. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't really know, uh, you know, when you go into it, that it's going to be as different as it is, but it really is. It's, it, you, know, you know, deathless, you really are, you know, boosting vigor a lot, uh, your HP, you know, you, it's, uh, and we've had some funny occurrences of people sort of coming in and uh, into chat, uh, over the last two years that I've been involved with this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, they say things that are just utterly ridiculous, like, uh, you know, hit, hitless is easy because you don't have to put any points in vigor, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for the advice, dude. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's just some, some ridiculous stuff like that. But it, it really is, there's a ton to know. Uh, and Dark Souls 3 is, I mean, of the, of the ones I've done, uh, I'd say Dark Souls 3 felt like the hardest of the ones that I've done so far. I think maybe because it's fairly long. Um, I know you can do it quickly, but when you go through your first any percent, uh, it, was, it was taking me close to three hours for a run, which is which is a decent length in terms of this in terms of the From Software games. If you and I'm speaking specifically about the you know the sort of Soulsborne Akiro container there, because obviously there no hit is sort of graduating to be more of a category that can encompass anything now, which is really cool. Yeah, I would say that. Dark Souls 3, it certainly was, from what I've heard from other runners as well, one of the more difficult uh, of, the, of the lot, right? Um, Sekiro, which I'm learning at the moment, is, 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 is tough, but I think that's more just the learning curve of, of getting it down. I don't think that ultimately, I'd say that there's maybe two or three boss fights that present themselves as potentially being more difficult and the rest is sort of fairly straightforward if you just execute the strats well right that's but but that that's just my opinion of it at the moment so uh you know particularly the genichiro fight that you know genichiro 2 the guardian ape from what i from what i've learned so far it's really just a matter of you know if you can get that first phase done like in that snap that you know in that in that chance that you have at the beginning to sort of get uh you know a free phase one that fight is fairly straightforward right it's just mm -hmm. about not missing any of your parries then in phase two so and his move set is less frantic at that point but you know ishin is is pretty ridiculous uh, you know it's 
it, but such a thrilling game to to play in that manner. You know, there's such satisfaction I get from that just that combat system. It's very very precise and it's super uh, super satisfying when you when you do manage to you know get through the fights and all of your reactions have been on point and you get the, you get a no hit fight there. It's uh, it feels really good for sure. So I'm saying <clears throat> enjoying playing it now more so than these uh, first experience <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely yeah yeah it's um you know look i would say that there are i would say sekiro as an any percent is probably per, is is i would say that that's probably much easier than say an immortal severance run that, that i feel like some of the stuff that you would get after the um you know after that crossroads where you can either choose to sort of go Shura or take on some of the stuff after Fountainhead. I feel like some of those fights are pretty insane. Uh, you know, like, be even particular, the owl fights, you know, look look pretty pretty nuts. And Sword Saint Ishin probably probably ultimately harder than uh than fire ishin right um oh, but be, I think. yeah it's um but it's going to be relative to anyone's experience as well ultimately right it's uh that's that's one of the big things about about no hit is is if you've got more experience in one game it's going to be re- it's going to be objectively easier for you right um so that's that's really where where it's at but yes definitely enjoying it a ton i want to stay on on this for just a sec with ds3 so your introduction to ds3 was from uh watching your friends dream it how was that first experience just doing a vanilla playthrough of ds3 and then the progress from that to doing it deathless yeah i i mean so dark souls 3 uh the original playthrough was pretty i i mean from what i remember from it i just really enjoyed myself you know there were I think the main, I think the main roadblock for me was probably Pontiff. That was the first real wall I hit there. Um, I'd seen uh, um, other people get stuck on, say, like Abyss Watchers and stuff like that. For me, Pontiff was the first time I felt like I was really getting my a- my ass handed to me. Right? It was like I just it, there was didn't matter where you sort of stood in the fight. Like he had moves to sort of cut back around himself if you if you were behind him and he would you know he hits you that way because he's he's dual wielding you know so um and then you know it's 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 funny now in hitless you know we one cycle pontiff we don't worry about the phantom or whatever but the you know back then it was sort of like you know you got through the first phase which was difficult enough and then there was two of them like you know, it was sort of uh, it was. It's a great fight for sure. But that I I recall that being sort of the real first wall, and I recall Solar Cinder also being insane, right? Like it's like it, despite the fact that, in fact, you know what? That that actually probably isn't true. I'm misremembering that. I think Solar Cinder was. I think Solar Cinder was for sure almost like from a, from an any well from a, from a vanilla playthrough perspective. It was deceptively easy, you know, because when you can tank hits off Soul of Cinder, you know, the mistakes don't matter, right? Ultimately, especially in a, like a normal playthrough, right? The And I remember going back to, to it in Deathless and just getting destroyed, you know, <laughs> or... Um, particularly in hitless and we'll come to it uh but yeah it was it was, it was it's easily the hardest fight in the run uh in, in the any percent for sure outside of that i remember 
I don't remember struggling with any of the other bosses though. Not, uh, and I may have done, but I don't really remember it. I'm trying to think, it's so it's so weird. It was such a such a while ago now, and I've played so many hours of Dark Souls Three. It's hard to think back and you know remember from that vanilla playthrough. That's one thing that's that's sort of the, the I guess the saddest parts about these uh, runs is that you know you only get that first playthrough once. So it's. Uh, you know, I always wish I could have that back. And that's sort of what's one of the things that's really exciting about Elden Ring and got a little taste of that uh, last week. So it's it, it's crazy to to know that we'll get that experience again. And I, I don't want to I don't want to do too many spoilers for Elden Ring or anything like that for any anyone listening. But, you know, there's you get into it and there's at least what well, at least one boss fight just in the network test alone that was like damn i'm getting my ass handed to me <laughs> <laughs> again and it's uh and it's it, you know it's that's the thrill uh, of it you know it's, it's sort of uh, it's sort of uh, you know really re- really fun for sure it's just weird now that we've got at least at, uh, at this point in the recording it's now four months away which is uh, very sad <laughs> yeah i mean we're it's literally uh well it's on the 25th of february right so yeah. december january february so three months just under th- just over oh, yeah, three true. months yeah. so uh yeah we the hollowing uh will will be over at that point but uh you know it's sort of from what i've played of, of elden ring it's you know uh, i was lucky enough to do probably 14 of the 15 hours that were available and yeah, it's just you know i can say nothing bad about it uh there was it's it's got some it's got some technical issues that need to be fixed for sure um and that's great that we were able to give feedback to from software about it directly in particular there was there's one uh there was one enemy that had let's say a generous hitbox like as in they would do a, sh- a shield slam and you could have been standing probably oh 10 i to think i've seen me- of this ten, yeah 10 10 to 15 <laughs> meters from him and you'd, you'd get hit uh, it was it uh, and it was it was just and it was a one-hit kill <laughs> you know so it felt very unfair so that's uh, and that i remember being like yeah this is broken (laughs) like like you would you'd even even be on the other side of of, uh, like he would he would shield slam in a different direction from you and you know and you'd still die (laughs) it's just it was almost it was almost like uh unfair but but it's uh, I'm, i'm unsure whether or not i just didn't understand the mechanic or whether or not the hitbox was just over the top right so I also think this enemy is not supposed to be there. Like, I, th- I feel like this enemy is actually supposed to be semi-late game, just based on what they're, what I've been able to read up about. And I think they just sort of put him there at the yeah, start. Yeah, because they give, they give you, like, a, a build at the start, so you're relatively upgraded already, like, ready for that kind of boss, even though the damage that we're seeing wasn't very the greatest for him. Yeah, absolutely. But also, he's not there in the gameplay preview, right? Um, so if you if you look at that, that that what we got to see from FromSoft, you know, he's not there in the gameplay preview, and but you do see him in the gameplay preview in a different area, right? So anyway, I don't I don't want to again I don't want to spoil too much for anybody. I'm sort of trying to be as vague as possible here, but you know, in in that respect, it's sort of exciting to have. The, you know to have that coming up where we get that experience again where but even even better you know just i feel like more people are going to get this experience because uh elden ring's story and law seems to be more upfront, but also 
the characters are way more talkative, right? There's, uh, it feels like they have done a ton more voice acting. Obviously, your your characters mute uh, as usual, but uh, like they play a character for for whatever reason, except for screaming when they die. But the um, the characters that we were able to meet in the network test were very talkative. Like they had plenty to say about the law and things like that. And you know, that for me, I feel like, I feel like that's going to be enjoyable for more players, right? Uh, just because that more people are going to be able to really get into it and understand that there is a story there and you're not just sort of like playing to beat bosses because that's kind of how I felt when I first played Dark Souls 3, right? And also I would say Dark Souls 3 always sort of looked grim and depressing. I see the beauty in it now because I've spent so much time with it and I, you know, I sort of see the world for what it is and and it's how how that the story of Dark Souls 3 is really told. But Elden Ring is it's a totally different experience, you know. It's a vast world that's colorful and full of life and there's animals running around everywhere and you don't have to fight all the time you know it's uh you get to go to the beach <laughs> you know like that's uh you, you know and 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 it's and it's uh you know and the you know from software have upgraded the skybox so much you know like it's it's uh, it's a really it's it's just a stunning vista you know that you get to you get to explore it's very much like breath of the wild for me um but probably even better right and breath of the wild is one of my favorite games uh but this is like that in terms of the open world but done better like they've taken from the experience of the open world in breath of the wild where it can be quite empty at some points right because it's a nintendo switch game and they have limited resources to use but especially with draw distance and everything like that but elden ring you know everything feels like it's alive and that's that's uh that for me is something that really excites me because i feel like i get to play both of my favorite games of you know both of my favorite games of the last few years sort of melded together into this like perfect marriage of 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 awesome So, yeah. The one thing that's, uh, or last thing I'll say about Elden Ring, which um, talk about in terms of no hit runs in the traditional, like the previous From Software games, and going, oh, uh, DS2 is the biggest, it's got 41 bosses. I feel like this one's going to laugh at that. And because <laughs> it, it feels like it, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, I would I would tend to agree. Yeah, it's, it's, Look, I mean, I can t- I can say it in the in the small portion of of t- of the the map that we got to play in Elden Ring, there was ten mini bosses, right, or essentially ten bosses, which I think they ultimately all will all be mini bosses ultimately. But you know, you, you look at that, and it's sort of uh, uh, from what I can understand, we really only got like a sixth or an eighth of the of the, of the map, and if it's as if it's as as vast as that you know we could be looking at 80 plus bosses <laughs> you That's know good. it's it's just uh which is which is a lot if you're doing an all bosses run but i think yeah i'm pretty sure uh what little laggy did um d- did manage to do a like a boss rush speed run of the network test I think it only took 23 minutes. Uh, Nico was telling me about this a couple of days ago so i think he he did it pretty quick but you know that you you do start off with a sort of the, a cookie cutter character in the network test, and the scaling could be all off. Like from software could have changed a ton. You know we don't we don't know what the final game is going to look like ultimately, or if we even start in the same area or anything. So, but I would agree. Yes, it seems to me like the crown of of that Dark Souls to uh, super long. You, you know <laughs> that 
Otstava run that, that was done, you know, uh, it seems to me like that that might back up for grabs. Somebody else is going to take the crown on on that, and it will be Elden Ring for sure. And assuming there's no Breath of the Wild esque straight to the final boss in in the game, potentially be also the longest any percent as well if it has certain factors such as having to complete certain bosses uh, in different areas in order to in all this complete so it could be the longest any percent as well potentially i believe so look i mean uh i, I don't want to go too much into speculation about like the the structure of of the way that the game will go just because I, i've read stuff that could be right or wrong and i'm not going in blind obviously i played 15 hours of the network test so um or 14 hours but the but also i've sort of read stuff that is being leaked as well so i sort of have an, a general idea of what what we're going to be looking at but you know ultimately this is one thing that i've said you know there's there's a lot of people obviously are going to be in the i guess the race at the start to see who can do it first you know this could be this could easily be eight to, to, to 12 hours of any percent you know <laughs> like if if that's the minimum it takes like if there's no faster way you know to sort of do it especially with no hit being glitchless like typically right you know there may be this these this may be very long any percent right just to get to the end because it's such a big world and there might be you know you may have to go for miles to collect something that you need that's integral to the strategy yeah this, this is going to be a completely different kind of routine than any of the previous ones have been which have been a lot more yeah. like linear yeah, absolutely and i mean yeah we just we simply don't uh, we don't really know enough yet i guess about what, what it's going to be and you know it's it's interesting to me to look back at the history of these runs because you look at I think Dark Souls 3 took quite some time for the first any percent to be successfully achieved. I forget, there's a good, uh, uh, Squilla made a great video about the sort of the history or the ongoing history of the of the no hit run or the hitless uh the hitless runs so that was interesting because he's talked about that and i'm pretty sure it was you know months and months and months from release before somebody actually got it right for us uh was the first you know even even sekiro i'm fairly sure gino was the first uh, to get a damageless sekiro run i could be I wrong so. but I'm, and i think that was still two months i could be could be wrong but um yeah i'm thinking i'm still I, I still think there was a it was a fair chunk of time before somebody actually did it this could be another one where it's months and months before uh before getting it and i i'm really torn between you know go, trying to be a part of that race and just enjoying the experience you know it's sort of uh it's that's a really tough uh, <laughs> it's a tough thing for me in my uh, you know to to sort of figure out what what it is I, i'm lucky enough to, to have at least a few weeks off work uh, at the beginning so that i can uh just really engross myself in the in this world but yeah who knows what, what's gonna what's gonna come of that you know i, I certainly ho i personally hope it's it's a big long run like i i really w would like it to be i'd love for it to be like that and you know ha have plenty of people in the race rather than you know just people that are really experienced with no hit running like first like straight away like you know like on it get the get the world record and be done like and it's like uh okay like you know before anybody really else has a chance to sort of have a look at it i i would love for it to be different from uh, from that and be like a really long run and you know have you know a ton of intricacy to it and 
you know, something that the community can can all come together to sort of put, you know, like the different strats learn together and sort of like, uh, you know, a bit, be a bit more of a competition overall. That, that, that to me would be really cool. And if it ends up being like that, I wish the best of luck to Nico and Hob for their God Run 3. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely well yeah what can i say <laughs> it's uh you know those are long runs anyway but you know look these guys are you know at the top of what they're doing and you know we can't forget dobby as well dobby yeah, summer yeah, uh the first to uh achieve the god run too so i mean i look at it now and i you know i was I was sort of thinking, you know, maybe I'll I'll uh, get into the the marathon running side of things next year. That was sort of on my list of goals. But at the moment, like, I'm just happy to just, you know, I'll probably focus on Elden Ring before I even do Dark Souls 1, you know, like, uh, which I haven't done yet. So because it's so close, I just don't know if I'm going to have the time between now and then to sort of refine a run and, and get it done, especially with Sekiro sort of halfway done at this point. So we'll see. If I bring us back to DS3, what was the learning aspect or should uh, also actually, what was the trickiest parts of the run during the journey to get that still hit run? With Dark Souls 3, it was, it was pretty interesting how many different, phases i went through in terms of thinking well, or feeling good about it and feeling awful about it it took me 170 days almost i think it was exactly 170 days to get my first no hit run of dark souls 3 and i went to solar cinder with zero hits seven times before i got it i thought it was never going to happen at that point do you know what i mean it was um i felt like it was really uh, really not happening at all so the uh, the really interesting thing about it was uh, i guess to begin with i think the you know the routing was was fairly straightforward just because i had already done deathless and sort of gotten an idea of the route that i wanted to take anyway so i sort of understood that but the you know and i remember the first boss i really spent any time just like resetting on and practicing was obviously gundir right um the uh udex gundir because it was right there it was the first thing i wanted to sort of like understand if i could actually do it hitless and i remember doing like on my first day just going through it going through it and then getting it sort of once and twice or then twice back to back and then you know i started to feel confident because i was able to sort of do that to begin with like straight away it's i know it's the tutorial boss but you know it's sort of you do need to get into this repetition of of understanding sort of what the boss does and what to expect and you know particularly with things like uh understanding the the posture meter that's not visible to the player you know but the but you have to sort of maintain a momentum otherwise you don't get the same opportunities that you do if you just sort of like uh, uh you know if you hesitate i guess um that's that's the uh you know the Sekiro tagline isn't it hesitation is defeat <laughs> but um but there's there's a you know you do have to stay on top of some of these bosses to get uh the opportunities that you want or the for the fight to be consistent right um, but yeah, the, the routing overall, um, it was, you know, that was pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. I do, I do remember having trouble with the Abyss Watchers, definitely, or even Vought to begin with. I've, I remember there was stages where I had, you know, I would get hit by Vought 
every time, you know, like I would at least be taking a hit at Vought. And then, you know, there was there was different things where I'd get hit running through a certain area, say the um particularly the, you know, getting the the strategy down for say the catacombs to get the Carthus blood ring, which gives you extra iframes. In particular, you know, understanding and learning where everything is and knowing that okay, there's like five blobs on the wall that you can't see that is here, here and here. You go through and it's funny, you sort of, every time you run it, you you learn something new, you know, sort of, and even when you think you've got it, it's still, there are still lessons to be learned. Uh, you know, there's there's a ton of things where, you know, I've been running through and, and something happens and it's like, okay, well, even after all these hours, I didn't know that that was going to happen, right? Uh, or that that could happen. And, uh, you know, the the I'd say the hardest running section was probably there are two that that ca- that come to mind that that always stress me out particularly the uh the stairs that well the 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 whole irithyl section is it's just even with the branch section so there's a section of of irithyl those of you that don't run ds3 or haven't seen it uh there are sort of two sections to irithyl prior to pontiff you got the first section where you can sort of use a uh, you can use a branch to camouflage yourself and get most of the way through the first section which is great but can still be stressful if you don't get the enemy positioning you need particularly if one of the hollows can is close to where you are sort of as you get up to the uh it's almost like a square in the middle with uh with like a fountain um and if they're close to the stairs they can even see you if you're moving in in, in the white branch camouflage but the second set of stairs is the worst part right like that there is so much going on and even with even with the strategies that other people had i never felt confident you know and it, it was uh you know because there are dogs everywhere and the dogs are the worst part of these games for running sections especially in ds3 with teleports and especially in like the on the way to deacons oh yeah another running section which is awful and i lost so many runs you know you sort of get that far and um i think at the deacons trying to remember because it's been so long since i played dark souls 3 and i don't remember my list of things but i'm fairly sure that i'd already done the dancer at that point and we would already have probably run the i think we'd be at plus nine at that point potentially um so you we we, we go past the dancer uh you run and get the as all of the chunks that you need and you level up to plus nine i believe that that's i do that before the sage in my route so yeah so the because then the sage is is pretty straightforward i i'm getting i might be getting confused just because the most recent run that i spent a lot of time on was the sl1 run of dark souls 3 and that's quite different in what you expect out of the uh you know what you expect out of the weapon so the but yeah i'm pretty sure still i was still going from Walnir to dancer and then on you know like i would I'd just do the uh uh do the 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 chunk hunt we call it so that we get the uh you know all of the all of the titanite chunks to get to plus nine and that way then you get a you know a quick uh archdeacon at the end of the deacon fight deacon's fight right uh, especially if you're doing twin blades meta which i should probably preface by saying i i did go with the with the with the twin blades uh for for, for that run but you know it took it took a long time and there were a lot of runs i lost to deacons um to be honest uh the the, the you know that i feel like every boss has its chapter 
right, um, where it was really tough. You, you know, there was, I don't know that there's really any boss that, that didn't have a time that I felt like it was in my mind you know for one for at one point or another like even the even the sage did at one point you know there was i thought well maybe not gun did because you're just there at the start right and it's just you sort of just get past him and then you're done but the this you know i can recall the sage did the deacons certainly did you know from that after deacons we then go to irithil probably do yorm i think i was doing that first going through the um through uh through the jail down to yorm uh and Yorm, I learned to do with the Twin Blades first, rather than doing the Storm Ruler, which I actually felt pretty comfortable with, but there was tons of times I got hit by Yorm because of the stomp, right? Like yeah, that, and, and yeah, exactly. So it's very fast and you sort of, you know, it's, it takes time to understand you, you know, how much positioning difference you want from him and sort of like giving yourself the time to be, to be far away. It's, uh, you know, so there was that and then Aldrich had its times. Then there was the Prince's Stairs The you know, uh, it was always uh, just a, just a disaster until I found something that, that worked well for me. And then Solar Cinder, which is... I think is still, you know, the is by far the hardest, uh, you know, of the of the boss fights. I I remember to even get somewhat understanding of the fight, I had to spend. I remember spending multiple weekends just in the fight for hours and hours just to un, just to make sure that I sort of understood everything he could do. And then even then, you know, it still took me seven no hit runs you know all the way there before it would you know before i was com confident or before i actually got the run that's one of the things i guess uh that is really hard about these runs is is the the pressure for your first run right like that's especially the more time that goes on the more the invisible pressure which doesn't actually exist happens right um that's and that's the that's the that's one of the harder parts really honestly is that the the pressure that that comes in to these, um, the pressure that you put on yourself in your mind after all this time is it, it's it's I would say almost like debilitating in in such a way that it's it's uh, you know you you sort of don't have the same reaction uh, as that you would just in practice by any stretch, especially when the whole run is on the line and it's taking you nearly three hours. I can only imagine what it feels like you know for people like Hob or Nico, you know, ten hours in right and three games down or four games down you know it's you know it's sort of to take each game as a single chunk must be that must be the next level of anxiety <laughs> right but i remember feeling really bad uh after you know the first one not so much the second one a little bit more the third one i thought i was gonna get it by the sixth one you know i was just like what am i doing wrong like am i ever gonna get this thing and then when i got my i got it on the seventh and then i think i got it something like six times in two weeks <laughs> you know it's sort of like once once the once the pressure was gone it was like you know i, I knew i could do it and i guess that's just what comes with the uh, the repetition and, and as you get more consistent, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, I feel like you have to have Cinder as your best, almost like your best boss uh, before it will, uh, you know, before before you, you'll get it. A lot of people can get, there are people that can get lucky for sure, you know, and just get it early. But the, you know, if you want to do these, like more of these runs, it will quickly become apparent if you were lucky, I think, right? Uh, there's because you just will brick wall on on this you know but also then you don't have the uh you don't have the level of, uh, of pressure on yourself if you've done it already right i feel like maybe that's 
that's also sort of a blessing in disguise uh, that you don't have that pressure. So it's um, long and short of it is, I, I certainly remember chapters in every part of of the run where I had different parts where I was like, okay, I need to, uh, you know, I need to really focus on this part because it, you know this is my this is just this is just hitting me here every time you know and it's and, and that's where the mentality of it is super important because you can be your own worst enemy uh with this stuff i think with from the runs of I've, I've learned and done ds3 has probably the highest percentage of bosses that are difficult which by that i mean something like bloodborne for instance it's quite a low uh, relatively low percent because quite a few of the bosses are quite systematic in their approach with like big things like shadows and murgo which does take quite a bit of practice but there is pretty much majority of the bosses of ds3 can be an issue in some way or other and same probably yeah with. i would i would i would look i would i would say from my experience from what i've seen you probably i would say you're probably right uh bloodborne is actually the most recent run that i've got and i think it took when i actually started running it i think it only took 10 days in the end um so it was um you know and it and it was sort of it's so short right so you get so many shots at it it's you know it's really and i'm slow like i think it took me an hour and 45 minutes maybe but you know look the, the there are there are difficult parts of each boss there for sure um but it's not like dark souls 3 because there's not you can get through four bosses in like 20 minutes in 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 bloodborne you, you'd be lucky you'd be lucky to get to the abyss watches in 20 minutes in most <laughs> cases right yeah, like definitely. in dark souls 3 and you know maybe you'd even just be past yorm you know like i'll say not yorm vort um the um the you know in terms of in terms of that whereas there was there was a learning curve but you know any and i don't know how much my experience in other no hit runs made bloodborne easier for me to deal with mentally because you know i've got good friends out there who've been working on bloodborne for for a long time time and it's their first no hit run and you know this and they're still going through that journey you know and working through those mental hurdles that they need to do to to get their runs and i don't want to belittle how difficult that is because i know too well right how how hard it is to uh to get those runs and it's it's a personal journey right like that's the, that's the thing but also, you know, I think one of the things that I found really important in in all of these runs up to this point is what works for you or what works for somebody else might not work for you. And, you, you know, you don't have to, there's, I feel like there are, there are run runners out there who see that, that there's a strat by this runner that's really good. And it could be, you know, it could be anybody. There's a, there's a, there's a thousand examples, you know, like of, of different strategies that are by really good runners that are arguably the best strategy to run um you know for whether it be for a boss or a running section or anything like that you know i i think one of the things that really helped me was to sit back and look at this and and sometimes be like you know what like is this the best strategy you know like is this is this is this the is this what works for me consistently you know or or should i try and learn something about this that's different you know one of the things that i think was was super interesting relative to bloodborne is when i was initially learning it i was learning from eden's all bosses guide and he sort of showed two ways to fight the bsb and the there's the punji strat but there's also there's also uh you can fight 
the uh you can fight the bsb head on right like and that's um to me like the bsb was the thing i was worried about the most right because it's so frantic and unpredictable um just because it's it you know it's sort of just like just a flaps of skin flying around the arena so um the you know for me i was like okay well i tried the punji strat to begin with and you know i'd get hit every time because i just wasn't doing it right and i didn't really understand what i was trying to do and you know there's 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 a number of different um sort of th things you have to consider like the position of how high up the wall you throw the punji and you know being able to count as much time as you have in your in your head before and to get that consistent is fairly straightforward but you have to understand all the nuances of it so i actually spent a lot of the first sort of week or so when i started running it and prior to that learning it you know fighting the bsb head on and i think in the run that i actually got i started moving over to the punji strat because there were parts of the of the just fighting bsb head-on strategies that that i didn't like or you know like i would get pinned against a wall or something like that for whatever reason and i would just get like hit by poison damage or some sort of aoe that bsb has in later phase and i, re I recall i think in the in the run that i actually got for bloodborne the bsb just ignored the punji uh, at one point and i was like okay right well so i just ran away and just revert you know i changed the strategy to just fight the bsb head on you know if i hadn't learned how to do that as well i wouldn't have been able to sort of save it, you know like and that's that's one of the things you know you can you can you can learn lots about a boss and just have various strategies and sort of come up with your own way to do things that that make be the best sense for you you know another example is when running to deacons you know you mentioned about the dogs but there is also a couple of different things where where you're sort of running and it's important that you keep the right momentum because there are archers firing at you when you have to like sort of jump across there's like a ramp that sort of goes up and just before you get to uh the grave wardens that can chase you before you go into the door where the giant is and uh, you know there would be a number of times where i'd have a great run up to that point but i would get hit by an archer there in the back you know and it's like so you, you know i sort of spent a lot of time refining that section and just you know changing up how many alluring skulls i would use you know so that i could then not get chased by thrall which is dangerous enough right but also um take out a number of these archers because i bought myself enough time so i was guaranteed that they weren't going to hit me in the back right and a lot of the time you know something can work every time for somebody and they just do something like that but i found that there was a number of ish instances where i would go into sections and get hit there after months of doing a run you know like and it would just it would just really great you know great on me i'd be like well like i've been running this for months why is this happening now and like also then i'd be like okay well look maybe there's a better way you know, and I think that that's one of the really important things is to know that you don't have to stick to the strats that other people have. All right. Just because, just because the strat has been done by somebody that's done incredible things doesn't necessarily mean it's the best strat or it's the best strat for you. You know, you, these runs are all about finding out what's consistent for you. And I think the more guarantees you can give yourself with strategies, like if you know that something's going to work and it's sort of guaranteed for you that it's going to work then go with that just because somebody does some, something else doesn't you know it doesn't mean that you can't do that and that was sort of one of the important things for me because it made me feel way more confident if i was having a, a dip in confidence on a run um and then i spent the time to sort of come up with a new strategy you know it was exciting to sort of run up to that point and be like okay now we're doing the new strategy and 
then when it works, it's sort of like that payoff of, okay, we finally overcame that. Um, and sure, you can get hit again in that area by something else, and then you know you have to refine it further. But, you know, it's it's, it's a lot of time it's fun to to just come up with your own, you know, you, you, your own strategies. But, you know, there's obviously there's advice from from other runners that you can take to. So I think it's important to be able to uh, to, to sort of not have to stick to the, the rules, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, there's you know there's there's the these are these people are just people too uh you know the, the, despite even even hob even if he you know he even if he doesn't look like like a person no i'm just kidding but um the uh you know it's uh you know he, even people that, that have done done amazing things you know are just people in the end of the day that have spent a lot of time on things and just because they have strategies that work for them in their uh you know, in in their amazing runs doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be the best strategy for you. So yeah, I'll just yeah, a bit of a rant there, but yes, <laughs> I'll just add to that by saying um, you can stick with like uh, one strap bolts. A really good way to approach it is by viewing either different guides or different rooms, as people will have different uh, ways of doing it and, and testing for yourself which one works for you best. As well as with strats, sometimes you've got to keep in mind that there are sort of small adjustments that go on in your head if you've got a lot of experience with the runs that may not be overly uh, visible as well as that is only potentially showing one one run of this boss in, in a guide or in a run uh, so it's also worth thinking about what other things can happen with a run or what others what like if something went wrong how would you then would re react, which might not be shown in a guide? It's it can be really hard, honestly. It's um you know like like I mentioned with the BSB, right? Knowing how high on the wall you want to throw the punji, right? Um to get it distracted uh, at the beginning of the fight. It wasn't immediately apparent, pardon me. Um the uh that that had a difference, right? It's like oh you just need to throw a punji against the wall here, and you know it's like the height on the wall is it makes a huge difference. But if that you know that might go unsaid you know, for one reason or another. And, you know, especially when you're, you know, if, you, if you're like in the case of a lot of these guides that, you know, it's sort of, uh, you know, you sort of, there's a lot to talk about, you know, in, in some of these guides, you know, unless you specifically go in and like, I'm doing a comprehensive BSB guide or I'm doing a comprehensive Soul of Cinder guide, you know, I feel like it can be a bit overwhelming to try and get out everything because there is so much subtlety to some of this experience that well, ultimately becomes like subconscious reflexes, right? It's, it's, you're totally right. It's, um, it's not always, it's not always easy to, 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 not everything is always said in a guide. You, there is a, there is a level of, uh, experience that has to sort of tie in with that. And probably the last thing I'll probably say about it is try to be, uh, like, with, with certain bosses at least, at least for, um, for me doing Sekiro, it was a big thing of have your own your own way of recognizing things as it will make it a lot easier because sometimes if you just try and go through a step-by-step -step thing of how to do it as opposed to trying to put it in your own words because like there's like Ishii and Ashna and people who have heard me before will find this funny but uh he Ishii and Ashna when you're in a, an attack pattern with him and a first phase of Ishii and Assaulting actually when you're in a parry combo with him he'll either do a two hit combo which is an up down strike or a push thrust combo and the way I always remembered that was because he has a tell where he either points the sword to the sky for his push thrust or he'll put his sword behind him to do like a cricket hit 
and that's how I remembered and that's how I got the pattern down and it, that just works for me and uh, I say that sort of people just have your own way of thinking about it even if it's the same strat as it sort of just gets ingrained better absolutely yeah uh, that's that's it's totally super important that experience right and that, that's where repetition is really going to help anybody uh you know the the practice is super important you know and particularly late game bosses like that if you just run the run over and over and over you may have tons of experience with the first boss but none with the last right and especially you know when you get into that late game high pressure sort of situation it can that's that can be the you know you you're relying heavily on muscle memory and you know and the, you know the the going through the motions and the repetition of of that to to get what you're actually uh to get what you actually want out of uh the fight you know especially if you're nervous it's going to make things much better for you for sure going into extensions of ds3 what was the key differences apart from uh, the obvious um, of sl1 and moving into all vanilla bosses yeah so look i went to all vanilla bosses pretty much straight away after i got the the any percent um and i did run all vanilla for maybe maybe a month or two before i moved to sl1 um and i took a break from from all vanilla or all base game bosses uh for those of you that don't know what all, van all vanilla bosses is all base game bosses so no dlc bosses but all the all the bosses that were released with the base game that for me was it was tough to begin with i was just doing the any percent and then moving on to like this this sort of i remember there was like six additional splits on the um uh, on the split counter and that was uh you know there were two sort of there's two sort of what i would call free bosses almost being the tri tree uh you know the curse rotten greatwood um or tree balls as he's affectionately <laughs> known um and then um odk which is they're more or less uh, you know they're, they're precise enough but they're um you know they're they're free more or less the especially at that stage of the game with that sort of uh leveling on damage and things like that for the most part um and then i, I would sort of have it there they'd be first and then second set of two new bosses would be osiris and champion gundir i think osiris for me was the biggest uh the biggest hurdle i i hated him with a passion it's uh it's it's just so especially after you know especially after soul of cinder i mean at one point i was doing you know i sort of flipped it around it's like all right i'll do cinder and then i'll do osiris immediately after you know or you know and then i was like oh you know what no i've just come off the stress of doing cinder i'll do the two free bosses first and then i'll do um you know I'll, then i'll do then i'll do osiris in the end i ended up doing a osiris early game um so the you know um because i was so sick of getting hit by osiris in the late game that i decided i didn't want to get to late game unless he was done so i think in the final run that i ended up doing i actually did osiris after i think i did osiris after the chunk hunt but even before the sage potentially so the plus nine weapon but but it was super early right like we were as soon as we could get to that area we did we did osiris and the first run i ever did him that early well, i got the run <laughs> so um it's 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 sort of one of those interesting things where i was able to do that and you know then it was just doing the sage and the deacons and whatever else it was you know it was super i felt like i gave myself a lot of buffer 
But there was there was a couple of times where I did get past Osiris late game, um, and they got hit by Champion Gundir. You know, because there are some there are some pretty uh, pretty aggressive attacks that Champion Gundir can do, especially in his second phase. Um, you know, the phase transition. I lost it to the to the phase transition, the sort of uh, the charge and spin. I lost I lost the run there multiple times. But I also did get to the Nameless King three times. Uh, which I was always running Nameless King as the final boss because um, because I wanted to have a different final boss for this run. I think I got there three times and lost it to the Wyvern. Um, oh, so the first phase, the King of Storms. Phase. Yes. So I mean, and which is which is kind of ridiculous, right? Like, or at least it seems ridiculous from the perspective of how the different phases are. Uh, you know, arguably. Uh, the phase two is supposed to arguably harder just because the nameless king is more aggressive and you know he can do all sorts of quite fast moves whereas the um you know the big chicken doesn't really do all much um so yeah i think i i mean in multiple times i just you know it was just nerves and i you know mistimed rolls but yeah the the time as i say the time i did osiris um the, the time i did osiris osiris early we went to the nameless king uh, i think i i recall getting you know pretty good uh hits on the uh on the wyvern like uh as it sort of um uh you know sort of got got some decent rng but got tons of head hits on on the um on the wyvern and it it staggered almost immediately right um and that that to me was you know it was like phase one was done before i was even really in the fight you know and i was like okay right well I'm, I'm, i guess we're doing this then you know and it's sort of then you just got to really rely on how, can I stay in this uh, and not make a mistake? And greed is a huge thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's sort of you've got to you've got to be very uh, you, you know there's a there's a there's a huge part of the experience of doing a no hit run whereby greed and ba you know balancing greed with momentum is really important because you have to know just how much you can do without going over the top right because if you go over the top you'll almost certainly be punished um you know and you'll lose a run whereas if you don't keep up the momentum the boss fight may not go as you want it to um and you may end up in a situation that you haven't practiced you know which is which can be it will always happen during a live run <laughs> do you know what i mean it's <laughs> yeah. um uh, it's you know it's it's the sort of thing whereby when, when when stuff starts happening that you're not expecting in a live run it's not good <laughs> not good news i think it's a big thing seen in chatters who may not do challenge run or may not be as familiar uh like when you get into that like low health bar range and it's like oh could have finished in there whilst in the meantime like people who have run the game know no, if he'd gone for another attack there, he would have been like whacked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, even in in the uh, in the all base game bosses run uh, that I that I got, he staggered at a weird stage for me. Like usually, I would like my stamina management was maybe a little bit off, and he stat the nameless king staggered, and I didn't have enough stamina to get the additional hits that I wanted before the repost, and so I just went for the repost, and he had health left after that and i was like what's going to happen here you know what i mean like is he like what's he going to do now because i'm so used to just finishing it at the repost you know and that for me was like luckily the health was low enough that i was able to sort of get behind him and he 
typically will turn to face you before he tries to do anything. So I thought that was a pretty, you know, that's um, that was a pretty good, pretty good chance at least um, to to try and get the run. And ultimately, it was fine for me. But had he have had a ton more health, when you get to sort of later phase, Nameless King, he adds more attacks, uh, you know, to what he's doing and. You know, if you particularly if you're used to executing a strat that's sort of re- like is is pretty consistent and work seems to work the same way, there are some attacks that you might get one in a, you know once in a blue moon, which makes it really hard to practice it. And you see you see people like I mean you see runners like Nico, you know, run into things at times where he's like this is just a once in a blue moon thing, you know, like it's really hard to practice for that. Um, I don't know a specific example, but I, I've certainly seen things where, you know, that's the, this is, you know, Nico has so much experience in, in all of these games and, you know, it's, there are some attacks that just happen and it's like, oh, okay. Like you can just see that it's like, I wasn't expecting it at all. Uh, you know, so. I think an example, this is, is not so much a blue moon example, but Dragon Slayer armor. In a lot of cases, uh, people will set up to finish it off in phase one, but if he stalls you for too long or it takes things too long, not many people, including myself, have practiced for that phase two, so that adds in a whole nother level of stuff that is very unprepared for. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That was that's 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 a good point. Um just to sort of bring me into the SL1 side of things. Dragon Slayer armor in any percent and all base game bosses. For me, I have 55 dexterity there because I know that um well, I was particularly I was looking for 55 dex and, and enough in uh you know, enough stamina, but ultimately the reason i wanted that is because i knew that four l1s would well so the fourth l1 would trigger the um the phase transition and then at that stage there would be so i'd hit him three times and then i would tee him up for the fourth on the fourth i'd I'd do three l1s and then that would give me enough time to sort of get around to the back of him so i don't get hit by the uh by you know the sort of the 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 sort of wind attack thing he does as he stands up i know that at that dexterity level five more l1s will kill him before he can even try and get an attack out right so there's little to no chance of the pilgrim butterflies doing anything obviously sl1 not the case <laughs> uh, i would say dragon slayer armor was was one of the hardest bosses in the sl1 run purely because you have to learn to fight based on sound cues more than anything and so for a lot of you'll see a lot of runners that run sl1 will do will turn all sound off except for the um the enemy sounds in the dragon slayer fight and that's due to the fact that um the pilgrim butterflies have three there's one on either side of the bridge and they have three different uh attacks that they can do and they can mix them up uh one is a laser beam one is uh sort of like like a hailstorm of of uh of, of meatballs and then there's one super meatball that can come from either side and th- that was the hardest part to learn was sort of dealing with dsa knowing what you've got to do to sort of deal with his his more aggressive attacking style in the fa- in the second phase and also you know there's there's a number of different things he will do where by he will chain new attacks into things like where he'll drag the axe along the floor and then try and hit you and then or he'll try and um you know he'll try and fire like a wind beam at you or so like a wind sort of slice across at you and 
you know, you've got to do all of that while also, uh, you know, trying to make sure that you're in a position in the arena that gives you some room to move, <laughs> you know, like sort of, um, it was, it was tough. And because of that, um, I moved DSA very sort of very early in my run in, in SL1. So it's, it's, you know, that for me was about balancing, certainly about balancing the two. Um, you know, balancing the the pressure of the bosses, and you know, I didn't want DSA right at the end there because it was so difficult. I didn't want to go sort of DSA into the archives and you know have that running section, and then uh, Solar Cinder pretty much being straight after that. Um, particularly because there, you know, you really there's not on SL one. You're plus nine by that point anyway, so there was really no difference fighting DSA late or early, right? So other than you know, if you get it early, it's it's like you know, fr almost like a quote unquote free pass to the end of the game in some ways. In that DSA is not there anymore, but but you know, it's it, there's the routing does change a lot between between the two. You know the. The basics of just getting your, your weapon to a certain level was that was really the big focus right of sl1 was was just the the getting the weapon as powerful as possible and then yeah there was there was definitely a few changes that made it made it hard i can't believe i haven't talked about the dancer uh in this because the dancer was uh was definitely one of the harder bosses in both runs um i recall the dancer being quite difficult in my any percent run um and then or the north the leveled any percent and then sl1 uh she was even more difficult because you just have so little damage against her and you just get exposed to so many more tr many more attacks right and it's the more that you're in the dancer fight the more chance you get out of position and the positioning is super important uh, at least in my experience so yeah so it sort of felt like that was um that was another challenge there and then solo cinder just a long fight really that was uh that's that's Again, it's like the dancer. I guess it's just that extended time in the fight um, just exposes you to more chances for mistakes, really. And so you have to get even more consistent from there on. I just want to touch on a common theme that I've sort of just seen with moving bosses earlier or difficult bosses earlier. So DSA for SL1, Osiris and all vanilla and dancer, although dancer sort of mixes with getting the plus nine uh, for the bosses. Would that be something you recommend or prefer in terms of having the difficulty um, as soon as possible as opposed to uh, later on? It, it really is going to vary from player to player in that the it depends on how you want to weight the run, you know, in terms of difficulty. For me personally, something about having DSA done felt like momentum to me, right? It was It was sort of... Uh, you know, I got to a point where it was like, you know, I did Gundir, Vought, Abyss Watchers, Walnir, Dancer, DSA, right? And it's like, okay, well, at that point, the Dancer and DSA is done, right? And so, you know, Yorm I was doing with the Storm Ruler in that point, so that wasn't too difficult. Uh, Pontiff, we had a decent one cycle on even at SL1, so that was, uh, you know, that felt as free as the you know as the as the as the as the leveled any percent which is pretty crazy to be honest that we got any free one cycles at that point then um you know sort of and then aldrich we also worked out a one cycle that was consistent 99 percent of the time provided we got the correct headshots in, in you know in a certain point Otherwise, you might have a slither of health left at the end to me it was sort of like the the bosses that I could one cycle felt almost the same 
right as the as the normal any percent for but that's why with dsa it's such a different fight that or oh, there's so much added to it that it's sort of i i always felt like i had a shot at the run if dsa was done whereas somebody else may feel like you know they don't want to tackle that until the until they got everything else behind their belt because they maybe they've got that but for me it was sort of like a, ma- a matter of sort of trying to balance the run in such a way that i felt confident to go go on and you know sort of like build the like if i had dsa done it was like okay sweet that's done like we can let's get to the end of the game now because everything else is is you know is sort of locked in to some extent and it's gonna it's gonna vary heavily from run to run you know like sekiro you have really no choice uh do you know what i mean it's um there's it's because it's very linear in what you're trying to do more or less so and some it depends on the strategies and what you need from the, from it you know like if like in Sekiro needing the mortal blade you know you want to do that probably earlier uh you know to if you get if you're using the mortal blade um so uh you, you know as soon as you can do that we sort of uh, that at least in my my sure run uh, we go we pretty much go for that straight yeah, away say, after if, if, the, if you're uh, not if you're not doing that you should do it <laughs> it's because mortal draws yeah. just op yeah absolutely right it's it's particularly it's particularly good i I don't use it as much as i uh as much as as some people uh do um like in particular i don't i i don't think i use it at all in the ishinashina fight but i'm so used to doing the firecrackers right like that's the uh you know if he if he tries to do the uh that that weird attack that he builds up for a second um the uh that i've just been used to doing firecrackers with that and i I, for whatever reason i think i decided to do that because i think because i saw hob do it (laughs) (laughs) um you know that's the which is not necessarily the best reason to do a strat to be fair but um but it's just it's you know i sort of i watch hob fight ish and ashina more than i've watched anyone but then i've seen nico fight him a lot recently and use the mortal draw and i feel like i've seen a couple of instances of ishin like i guess the one thing i worry about is if he doesn't stagger from that for whatever reason and he just hits you really quickly that's the one thing i worry about with ishin is like if he doesn't do something i expect i feel like it's like over <laughs> at that point like he's just gonna like quickly like do something close to me but i'm pretty inexperienced with sekiro at this point still right it's um it's still very early for me yeah i'll say if um like that's that's just practice into it and like say experience if you go into it and say and try more draws here and there you'll uh, quickly find out where it is safe or not safe like on on just a very quick one after you've done the first phase of ishinashina just death blows dawn yeah sugar mortal draw uh simple damage like it just sets it up second phase to make him like real squishy and just finish him off real quick in second phase but yeah that's the only thing i'll say <laughs> i'm gonna have to try it yeah for sure it's uh it's look i mean and it's it's really exciting to be doing sekiro you know i'm looking forward to getting back into it because it's been a, it's been a while and uh you, you know it's sort of uh I, I did play it for a while and i took a break and then it's uh you know sort of good to get back into it but i think i have a uh, i think i'm under 20 in the pb now somewhere between 10 and 20 potentially maybe even 12 um from the last time i did it but I mean, it's been months, <laughs> so it's uh, you know, it's kind of kind of that kind of goes out the window somewhat. But it's uh, it's going to be fun to get de-rusted on it and sort of uh, um, you know get back into to sort of figuring out what's what. I want to actually go on to that. I just think that'd be. A- 
good time. So we spoke uh, just prior to starting about the hent or uh, health or mental aspects of these runs. Could you go into that in any way you want to start that? Yeah, of course. It, so no hit running is very much, uh, and uh, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Is in my opinion, is is a per, you know it's a personal journey, not both Gil, but also in terms of your mind and mentality and sort of where you're at um, and your ability to sort of be resilient against adverse things, right? Um, it's sort of the, 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 particularly if you're getting hit all the time, it's very easy to take it to heart right uh, i've been guilty of getting very angry about you know things happening in game and or upset you know because i got hit by cinder again and it's been six times now you know this sort of thing you know it's like am i ever gonna do this kind of thing that's really hard to overcome uh it's it's sometimes you have to take a step back and remember that you know it's doesn't matter how long it takes it doesn't matter if you uh you know if if you, if you get hit all the time you know it's, it's it's in the end of the day it's a personal journey and it's supposed to be fun right uh but the, the i guess the the one of the harder things is once you taste that that no hit run when you finally get it it's it's particularly sweet <laughs> you know um particularly the first time you know it's uh it feels like it feels like nothing else that i've really experienced in gaming you know uh, as i mentioned i've been recently i've had some pretty bad stuff going on with my health and i had to take time off in particular i lost feeling in my hands for two months so i couldn't really play anyway I was forced to take time off. Thankfully, the feeling in my hands have come back, but I have a number of issues with my lower back as well as um, some other stuff going on in my neck as well. And it's just, you know, that 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 in itself has made it hard to sort of sit down in front of the PC for a long period of time, right? So I was sort of forced to take time off, but I can say this much, you know, after taking a break for so long, I feel so much better, you know, so you know and i felt like i've had a good time to reflect on everything that's been going on and you know and on the runs that i've been doing and in particular i mean not necessarily this round of time off but i did take time off uh throughout the dark souls 3 stuff and as i mentioned i i moved away from the all base game bosses to sl1 i got the sl1 run and then moved back to all base game bosses and it's crazy how much of a difference those breaks can make because the sl1 indirectly affected my skill level of dark souls 3 and even though you know it was sort of like it was a number of bosses i was familiar with i was just sort of learning a different way to fight them but when i went back to all base game bosses I got the run within a few days after that and the break was really everything I needed, you know, to sort of feel better about that run. But also just the time off from from doing these runs or playing something else, you you have this sort of mental battle between particularly if you're a streamer, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a Twitch partner and I worked really hard to get that but you, you know you don't want to let people down that watch you you also don't want to lose all the momentum you've gained as a streamer so maybe you don't want to stop doing no hit for a while right the you know it can sort of force you into this loop where you're constantly like banging your head against a wall and not always healthy you know so you know taking a break and giving yourself time to breathe and just not think about this and not you know smash your head against the same wall over and over can make a big difference and really can actually improve the run ultimately right it's um particularly if you give the time stuff a time to settle it can even if you 
come back and it's months later and you're de-rusting again. You know, that that in itself I found didn't really, you know, I felt like even doing that, the pressure was off when I was de-rusting because it was a de-rust, right? Like I wasn't going for the run. It was just... I was just, you know, getting back into the groove. So, uh, you know, with a fresh, clear head after the time, I think that's really important. It can be, you know, it really can be mentally overwhelming. You see, uh, I've seen examples of it in all of all the runners I've watched where they, you know, I don't know that there's even, maybe Squilla is the only guy I've watched that maybe doesn't, you don't really see it on stream, but you know, you look at the way, it, if, like particularly, you know, if you look at Hob or Nico, the way some of these the God Run Two has affected these guys at times, it's it's um, you know, it's it's really hard because you, you're trying to be there for these people and you know tell them that you know it's they're doing an amazing job, but it's it's really hard for you know it's sort of it can feel like it's never going to happen. And that that in itself is, um, you know, or that you're just like literally, you know, kicking a dead horse, you know, like or beating a dead horse at that point, you know. And this, these, these, especially these marathon run achievements, you know, there's a reason only two people have it. Like, you know, there's, because it is that difficult and there's so much variance and potential for for error that's why it's so impressive but you know you see it's it's it can be really hard and it's it's the sort of thing that can stop somebody from being happy you know it can it can it can have a really severe effect on your mental health uh, and that's that's you know the the healthier your mental health is and the more you can keep yourself sort of fresh i think that that's going to play itself into the importance of how easy you find it to get these runs you know the more negative clouds you have over a certain run or something like that i feel like the less likely it is you get the run then right because you sort of um it's a it's a vicious cycle of sort of feeling down about something pushing on again and then getting beaten down again and then trying again and then getting beaten down again and eventually you know it can be it it made me feel plenty bad (laughs) you know what i mean it's sort of um particularly with uh with the ds3 any percent i actually don't feel bad at all now and you know like i mentioned bloodborne i was pretty quick to get that ds2 i actually got this year as well which wasn't on my list of games that i actually wanted to even run this year um but we did a tournament with uh with the team widers and that was um deathless and i just sort of moved on from that to hitless and i was lucky enough to get that so but at no point did i really feel like um you know i sort of approached it as any Anytime I got hit was an opportunity to sort of learn why I got hit and just refined it, you know, and I feel like that at the beginning, I didn't really understand that that's what I needed to do because I was so ingrained in following the right strats and this and that and the other, you know, and, you know, now that I've gotten myself into a mindset where it's like, okay, if something isn't working, just to identify that it's not working and, and, and find a way to, uh, you know, find something that works for you because we're lucky enough to have, you know, people in the community that make saves, uh, you know, save state, um, you know, uh, tools where you can go in and run the same section over and over. Um, and if, if something isn't working, it makes more sense, especially even if you're on stream to just stop and practice. Um, the, the, because ultimately if you find something that works, you're going to get that boost of confidence and good feeling just from working something out yourself that works well. And, you know, uh, especially if you, if it's something that, that seems to be happening in a run, but not 
when you're practicing, finding out why is is you know is giving you knowledge that you can you can use to overcome it. So like for example, in Dark Souls two, uh, Bloodborne, um, uh, you know those those two in particular. I don't know. Did I do any other runs this year? No, probably not yet. Um, Sekiro is the next one. The uh, but in those two in particular, in comparison between those and say Dark Souls three, particularly the any percent, like my mental my ability to deal with the hits and things like that really had to i had to really change my perspective uh you know before i was able to do that and sometimes only a break will let you reflect enough to to do that so yeah i think i can't understate the importance of mental health in getting these getting these runs and particularly even in streaming you know it's there's there's a lot of weight placed on things like Twitch Partner and things like that that honestly shouldn't be. It's in the end of the day, you know, like I can speak, uh, you know, as a Twitch Partner, it's you know, it's uh, like it's it's an it's a it's a great achievement, but you know, like I don't I'm no different really to you know anybody else that's on Twitch streaming. You know, it's that it's it feels the same to me. You know, um, it's. It's validation of something that I achieved at some point. Okay, yes. Uh, and then somebody at Twitch said yes to my application, right? Um, but in the end of the day, like, I mean, I've been off streaming for quite some time. And, you know, I recently played through uh, Kana Bridge of Spirits, um, that new game that came out, which was great, by the way. Um, but the, um, you know, m my my view counts were were you know way below what would be required to hit partner, um, you know that sort of thing. But the thing is, it's like you, you know the people get so tied up in these metrics that it can be very very difficult to, uh, you know, particularly um, especially if you add the the stress of that to then doing no hit runs and everything else. It can be it can be a really bad cycle um, for mental health, so that's why it's super important to try and stay, um, you know, stay as healthy as possible and do what you can to sort of keep yourself in good spirits and and find ways to um, overcome the adversity in a way that doesn't make you like upset or angry because it's that just doesn't help in the end. Just want to uh, ask one thing about the break, or not really ask one thing about the break aspects, but the uh, just to point out about the break aspects that you took a break, but it was also not even from from the game itself or from streaming. Like you went to like SL one, so taking a break can either mean like. A different game or just a general break or it can be a different run uh, within the same game like there can be various ways to set yourself away from the run if a run's given you um uh, it's not doing right well. absolutely your, your brain has a uh you know it can have more capacity for something different right like if, if a change of pace uh in itself can be uh can be all you need um you know it could be that you're doing um you know you say you're doing all all base game bosses and you're doing great with the any percent but you're not doing something you know you're not doing well with osiris like i was moving on to say maybe you do like a pyromancy run or you do you know like a magic run or something that's just the any percent again or you move on to a different game you know you do something a little bit different it can be you know rewarding and also you know could, that can also do great things for your mental health uh you know if you if you're having some success somewhere else um you know that i totally agree um there's different ways to approach the whole break but giving yourself some space from whatever's you know negatively impacting your health um in that way um particularly if you're getting 
getting stuck, like I mentioned. Yeah, there's there's definitely ways to do it without um without just like mo- like going away from streaming and playing it altogether for sure. I I was more just forced into that myself, but uh, yeah, it was it was uh, you know I found that the breaks certainly helped me. We mentioned a minute ago about events participated in with team riders could you describe what team riders is and how it came to be uh yeah definitely it's changed a lot since its inception initially it was really just sort of a fun team um in terms of when i initially made the team it was just there was a lot of people using these wide people happy emotes um across twitch and you know i sort of made a, a team riders just because everybody was sort of like uh talking about it it was just ultimately it was it was just a sort of casual uh you know team people were just uh, just invited friends to initially right um but there's uh some much more uh you know uh driven people in the community when it comes to the teams and stuff like that um you, you know such as uh such as naz um and the other um members of the widers that that are sort of running running the show there now um that had bigger sort of better ideas for it than that and personally i didn't didn't have the uh the bandwidth really to contribute to that so it sort of moved on to to them and they've taken it in such a direction whereby you know they spend a lot of time now promoting uh you know promoting up and helping uh you know smaller streamers to sort of grow and also um you know sort of try and promote community involvement as well as they have events now which are you know a lot of the time now charity focused doing good work across you know to try and do stuff for great causes and things like that so that's sort of how it changed it was initially as i say it was initially just sort of a um for me personally it was just a sort of like a casual uh team for where i was just going to add my friends to but it ultimately it had a bigger impact than that and it's um you know there's a lot of uh, i've met a lot of great people in the team and they you know they continue to grow the team and and um you know help uh the, the the community is quite rich in terms of the uh the the members and the support they give to each other sort of a uh you know rising tides uh raise all ships i think is the saying uh, i feel like that that's that's you know really the benefit of of team widers uh, especially if they can do a lot of charity stuff so um yeah definitely cool stuff yeah i was gonna say on the charity aspects um from what i've seen and i don't have a sort of amount at at minimum the the events associated with them have raised over ten thousand uh, dollars pounds. I'm not exactly sure of the figure, but minimum of that. So it would probably be USD, I would imagine, just based on where they're at. But yeah, it's. I mean, that that alone is is super cool, right? Like the more that that we can all do to sort of help people in need like that, it's uh, it's pretty fulfilling in terms of uh, life things that you can do. I think. I s- I can't remember what the details of, but did you shave your head for charity, or I can't remember the, the detail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so there was a point in time like, was it this year? It was still this year. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. So at the beginning of the year, we did, um, uh, some charity work personally. This was uh, separate from any teams, but this was, uh, for cure rare disease, which essentially, um, the disease, uh, to be honest, look, the name escapes me. I think it was, uh, is it MND? I'm I'm just trying to remember. Basically the the disease causes like cripple, like, like, like people to be crippled to a point where they can't walk or do anything. Um, and this poor, this poor boy is in this position whereby, you know, this has happened and the person that runs Cure Rare Disease, it's like their brother, I believe. It's been a little while since I was involved with the charity, so I'm just trying to think back. There's been a number of health things I've been involved with this year, so I'm, they're mixing up in my brain. 
So I don't mean to do any uh, discredit to the charity because it is for an amazing cause. But the, the basically the research that they're trying to do may be able to give this this boy a chance to live a, a normal life if they can find a cure that allows him to you know, run and walk and play with his friends and everything like that. And, you know, so we, we did some, uh, we did some charity work earlier this year to bring attention to that. And, you know, the community, uh, alone, I was able to raise, um, it was close to, if not over 1500 us dollars, um, from memory in a single, like four hour stream. I was pretty, you know, pretty humbled by that for sure. It was, um, Amazing. it was, uh, you know, it's a, I was, and that that stretch. One of the goals was that I would shave my head. So uh, you know that's uh, mm. that's one of the things that we we did. I actually still owe a couple of goals to the uh, <laughs> to the community, which I think I've forgotten to do at this point. But um, the uh, but look, I mean, in terms of that, there was uh, you know I can't be more thankful for the generosity of people, and you know it just goes to show when we come together how much we can achieve. Did you let people like like people you work with or like family know you were doing this prior? I'm just I'm just imagining like going next day and just going, oh, you've shaken. Well, at the time, at the beginning of the year, I was still living with my mum and dad just due to the COVID stuff, and it was really there was really no um, reason for me to move out at that point in time, just because of the way that things were. It was sort of easier to be around people than not, right? Um, uh, especially here in Australia and Melbourne, we've been in the longest amount of lockdowns in the world out of everywhere. So, you know, spent quite a lot of time not being able to go further than five kilometers from my house in between no later than 8 p.m. So uh, it's been pretty rough in that regard. But um, I didn't I didn't let them know uh, the beginning um, that I was doing the charity stuff. It was just sort of after that, I gave my dad the, uh, the honor of being able to <laughs> shave my head, which he was thrilled by because he thought it was incredibly funny. Um, but he also was super proud, obviously. Um, I, I, obviously, I said, you know, look, I did this. I raised this money. One of the incentives was that I would shave my head. So guess what? <laughs> you get to shave my head. And uh, you know what? It wasn't so bad. Um, it was, uh, you know, and I also did a makeup stream, which was, uh, yeah, eye opening to say the least. <laughs> um, so yeah, but it was fun, uh, you know, and that's, that's the sort of thing that brings community together. And, you know, look, I mean, very, uh, I can grow new hair. <laughs> it's no big deal, you know, it's, uh, but the, um, you know, that just, just the, th the money we raised, you know, was, I was really proud of and very thankful for the community, you know, to, to have done that because it, it's the very least that, that I could do to sort of, you know, try and help. And it's really, you know, we've done a number of charity incentives throughout the time of the, of the channel. We've done some stuff for, for wildlife in Australia where we raised hundreds of dollars towards, you know, to sort of help animal relocation after fires Fire, here in Australia yeah. that, you know, that, that in itself for me i mean animals can't help themselves you know like that's for me that's always like even almost more important to me um because it's just devastating tragedy for for whenever i see something like that but you know there's so many different aspects where helping people is you know it's as i say it's one of the more fulfilling things you can do in life i think so it's um i'm very proud of all the opportunities that we've had to do that and you know, definitely looking forward to doing more in that regard. But yeah, that was the one that we did where I, sh I shaved my head and things like that. That was particularly for cure rare disease. So that's um, that's something that's definitely worth looking into uh, if you want to 
uh, you know, get involved with something like that. Something else I noted down that you'd participated in was the, which I think was uh, quite a while ago now, was the Mortal Shell tournament. I was just interested how that came about because that was pretty soon after it was released, I believe. Yeah, in fact, before it was released. So the um, we were lucky enough to be approached by Playstack uh games i believe it is um that that uh the developers of mortal shell uh maybe am i saying the wrong name hang on let me just grab the case to make sure sorry so playstack i think is the uh i think is the publisher cold symmetry is the uh is the developer but I have the uh, enhanced deluxe edition uh, on PS5 here um, because I, I bought it all because I the you know I was lucky enough for them to give me early access to the demo as well as um, as well as the game the full game so yeah essentially um, involvement with the with with uh, you know the no hit community and and uh, Dark Souls in in particular you know I was lucky enough to to be involved with a group of, of people that got access early access to Mortal Shell we started off by doing a deathless run um sort of tournament that was sort of a small portion of the game sort of kind of like the network tests of dark souls i guess but not network based because there's no pvp or anything in mortal shell or at least there wasn't then if there is now but the uh looking at the uh, what's it called the we got we basically had to clear the area and move on right and you would take deaths based on whatever you did um or the the score based on deaths and that was the that was sort of the first little snapshot we got and then when it came to uh the full release we did also a release tournament so at that point we had keys to give away we also had um uh you know we you could run it with armor or without um mortal shell is essentially if you run it without armor it's essentially hitless you can only take one hit and you die so so that it's but you get a boost of like almost infinite stamina almost it's like a tons of stamina if you if you don't wear a shell so mortal shell is a little bit different uh, in that you can in you can sort of possess a certain character i guess in that uh, a shell right um and and that that is uh sort of how you get your weapon and and everything like that there's a couple there's maybe a couple of weapons that work for one character or or something like that but the they all have different characteristics you know some are balanced in uh they're a bit heavier but you get more hp you know or you take less damage um whereas some are more agile and do different things and you get different move sets so it's really interesting uh concept and i, I actually really enjoyed the game um the uh but yeah we got we got to get involved and sort of run that sort of thing and in terms of um what we ended up doing um i didn't i didn't end up actually having time to run the full game in the final test for one reason or another and the reason being there i think is because the um for whatever reason like i just wasn't able to to run the full game up until that point and learn it all so we did run a like a like a limited run at the beginning um uh, sort of at the of the tournament where you would sort of do the first two bosses um the first two main bosses i guess you could say which was which was heaps of fun and yeah definitely huge thanks to cold symmetry for giving us access to that at the time it's uh it's definitely a very cool um considering the size of the dev team as well it was it was super cool experience to sort of 
play something new um, that hadn't been out, uh, and also you know sort of sort of raise awareness for the game because it was uh, yeah it was it was pretty fun sort of take on uh, and you know for that almost like Souls like genre I guess um, and being able to to sort of take the experience from Souls and sort of see what you feel about this uh, this game which is. Uh, sort of akin to souls in that way last thing i want to go into is around live streaming and there's a couple of things one thing you've uh already brought up is the huge positive contribution that can happen um with like the charity aspects with those sorts of things but was also interesting what is it about i don't know if active live streaming is the right way of uh, defining it but uh what is about live streaming that drew you to start doing and keeps you doing well uh look i mean live streaming itself was I, I to be honest to begin with I, I wanted to be a youtuber right like the uh the uh, or or I wanted to make youtube videos I guess rather than be a youtuber I guess that's not really the uh the right phrase but my initial journey in streaming started on youtube um the I used to watch streamers over on youtube um in fact one of the uh one of the first streamers I ever watched was uh his name is Kang Gaming he's a variety streamer typically he does a lot of animal crossing now I think but at the time, back when I initially watched him, he would typically play DVD, but he also did various variety mixed in with that. And he was actually the first person I ever saw live stream at all. But the first thing I watched him play was Resident Evil 7. And I, I realized how much I loved it because I, I probably wouldn't at the time have played Resident Evil 7 on my own because I would have been just too scared or it wasn't my type of game, you know, like it look pretty scary to me and I was pretty casual in terms of my gaming at the time you know it's sort of it was one of those things where I was like uh you know I was like I get to enjoy this game with some with with a community and you know sort of go through this and you know realize how much I sort of love that idea and then I really wanted to I really wanted to sort of do that myself in some way and then the apocalypse happened and uh it sort of ruined his channel to some extent uh, but you know he had amassed over like 100k followers on youtube or subscribers but he ultimately you know he was unable to sustain his work anymore on there and he he was able to move over to twitch which in turn meant i signed up for a channel on twitch and that is sort of how that started um once that once that got to a point where it was uh you know it was it was was sort of working to some point i sort of started dabbling in like okay well how do i record video how do i do you know how do i record gameplay and you know sort of from there i was sort of that's when i got into you know i wanted to be able to share these experiences with other people because i think it sort of opened my opened up the possibilities for what i would play and the enjoyment i could have with streaming uh the you know in, in overall i felt like that that community aspect that i had experienced with with kang um and you know the fact that i'd gotten to enjoy a game that i otherwise probably wouldn't have played on my own really appealed to me and you know i feel like I don't, i'm not this i'm not the you know i'm not i'm not like i don't go out partying i don't do all that sort of stuff really very much especially with the pandemic and everything right but you know i'm i, I like to i'm pretty 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 much at home a lot of the time you know and so for me this is a sort of social out outlet that that suits me really well and you know i've been able to meet people from all over the world you know some of the people that i call my closest friends now are from you know from other countries and i sort of know that even though we can't necessarily spend time in person together i probably spend more time with these people than i would if i knew them in person do you know what i mean yeah. it's sort of a 
um, you know, because I have the time to, uh, you know, be, be with them in, in their streams and things like that. So it's that that to me is what drew me to streaming and keeps me coming back is is the people you know um in the end of the day you know will i know hit run forever i don't know uh we you know for me at the moment i'm sort of you know my interest is also in okay well you know with with the with elden ring coming out and you know i was able to get a lot of footage from elden rings network test you know I'm using this opportunity to start learning more about YouTube. Now that I'm, you know, the streaming side of things uh, has, I've learned a lot about video um, and that sort of thing. Now I want to sort of use that high quality recordings and things like that and the ability to try and maybe put that back into YouTube as well, right? And to try and offer content that might be enjoyable in short form for people, you know, where I can write a script and you know, knock that down into, into sort of that position. So it's interesting because yeah, originally, as I say, I wanted to do retro stuff on stream and that's kind of what I wanted to do for YouTube to begin with as well. Right. Play through my favorite old games with people. Right. But now it's sort of at the point now where it's like, okay, well, it'd be really cool to be able to, it's great to play stuff on stream with people and I don't want to stop doing that, but maybe, you know, maybe I want to do more in terms of experiencing games with people, even though I do want to do a lot of no here at the moment. And that is my primary focus. Um, you know, being able to hopefully, you know, in, in the end, you know, experience these games and more of them, uh, more about them, you know, like with, with the community that I can build between Twitch and YouTube, you know, that to me is a and the community aspect and you know enjoying these games with other people is really what draws me to streaming and video content creation in general so that's really where i'm at i saw a picture of um it might be outdated at this point but of your equipment which looks very nice and was interested in how say a streamer was uh, a new streamer wanted to start streaming how would you prioritize equipment the first and foremost sound is way more important than people think you can deal with bad video more than you can deal with bad sound right like uh, that's that's so i would say initially speaking it's pretty easy to get acceptable video but if you know look whereas i would personally be investing in audio first um if it were me obviously you need a, a streaming setup that can work um but if somebody's trying to start off and on a budget and things like that, getting an, an NVIDIA card that supports NVENC, um, I think the, the, the lowest end one is a 1660 or something like that. It's probably the first place I was at start. If you can't afford that, you can do CPU encoding, but GPU encoding will mean that you probably get a better experience and it not impact your games if you're doing PC gaming. Uh, if you're a console streamer, obviously you can d direct stream from a console with something like Lightstream um, for overlays and stuff like that if you want to, or you can plug a, a camera into your console. But if you're looking to do it as a, you know, as, as you get into it more and you want to, you know, you want to take something to maybe the next step beyond just the very basic of a camera and just the gameplay. Yeah, I would say that you probably want to look at sound as the first thing because it's, in my opinion, the hardest thing to get looking good or sounding good, I guess, uh, in terms of, you know, the, there's so much to know that is really hard to control, like the room, for example, right? At the moment, my room's not treated very well, and uh, I'm, I'm just constantly fighting with my audio to try and find the right level of compression without bringing in the noise floor up. And there's there's a ton to learn, you know, like I'm, uh, but there's, you don't have to spend a ton of money to get good audio. But, you know, people can tell if you're just on like a tiny headset microphone that's, 
sounds like you're, you know, the sort of the captain of a plane talking to you over the <laughs> PA, you know, like that. That's um, that people will, I, f- I think people subconsciously like that less than they might dislike poor video quality, right? Like, or low bitrate streams. So the, um, yeah, I would say that as a, as a beginner, if I was, if I was getting into it again, I would be recommending, you know, investing time into the sound of your stream because the video can, you can sort of get away with lower quality video to begin with. Uh, I would also say personally, I prefer streamers, uh, with a camera though. Uh, I feel like it's easier to not talk as much if you have a camera than if you don't. So, you know, as you're starting as a streamer, if you don't have a camera, you've got to talk a lot, right? Because anybody can just stream a game and not talk, right? Like that doesn't offer anything entertainment wise, really. Um, like maybe to some people, they just want commentary free gameplay. Fair enough. But in, in my experience, that's from what I've seen, uh, that's a harder niche to sort of crack into, you know, but there's people out there that, that do great, you know, Squilla doesn't have a camera for a lot of the time. Right. So, um, he's only recently started having the camera so much. So uh, as far as I'm aware, so, you know, in, in, but look, you do have to, you know, streaming in itself when you begin is about getting comfortable with talking a lot and not being, you know, nervous about, you know, embarrassing yourself and stuff like that. We're all going to do stupid stuff on long form content. You know, it's, uh, um, you know, it's, that's the point. And that's why you, it's there to, you there to have fun with people, you know? Um, but it really is, it really can be difficult to just, as you begin to learn that you need to talk a lot. So yeah, sometimes a, a little webcam or something like that can at least, um, you know, can keep people that sort of attached to who you are in a certain way, but also then, you know, sound quality as well goes a long way. One thing I wrote down, but I, I, I can't remember where I found this, so it, it may not be true and I've just written it down wrongly, but is it true you have view account disabled? Yes. Yeah, I do personally. So look, I mean, uh, one thing I hear from friends and I see all across, you know, Reddit and Twitter and things like that is people worried about the viewer count. It can be very detrimental, again, going back to the mental health side of things. If you're looking at the viewer count, uh, I knew somebody that that would, would constantly look at their viewer count and their mood would fluctuate based on the viewer count, you know? They would see that they had 25 people watching them and they'd be like, oh, this is great, you know? And they would talk more. And then the view account would fluctuate down and they'll be like, well, what did I do wrong? And they'd be analyzing themselves straight away. And it just, you need to, with streaming, you need to just treat the people that are there with you as people. They're, they're, they're investing the time into you, you know, that, that they could be doing something else with, you know, and each person is valuable, right? In, the, in that they're a human being with life and they're, they're taking the time out of their day to, to spend their time with you, you know? And so if you're just looking at that number and you're just like, oh, you just want a high number, in my opinion, you're not doing it right. You know, like it's, it's, it's the sort of thing. It's like really what you're there for is the community interaction. So for me, turning the view count off was a good way of me being like, okay, look, I'm just going to talk to the people that talk to me. If there are people watching that don't want to talk, that's fine. You know, like, but ultimately your community is, you know, you just want to value all of the people the same, but you need to, you know, you need to treat each of these people with the respect they deserve. Um, and in that viewing them as a number is really, for me, it just, you know, it was very easy to get caught up in the fact that, uh, you know, this, 
view view count is high, view count is low. You know, it's sort of like I I will have a look after the stream and I'll see my average because it just usually gets emailed through to me. The you know I, I think the one something that the you know when I when I saw that and the view count was really impacting this guy and it, you know his his mood would just like flop if something went wrong. You know, for me it was really sort of like you know it just it just really really solidified in my mind how how unim it's 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 interesting to just you know I know and this is this is all in this is all developed by Twitch right because they have these goals that are measured of metrics of success quote-unquote where it's like okay you need to have this many viewers to get this and then if you have this many viewers then you can apply to be a partner you know and it's like okay well you know it's it's one of those things where these measures of success are not necessarily healthy <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's, um, you know, you might, some days I might get no followers, you know, some days I might get 20 followers, you know, it's, it's sort of, it varies wildly, but these numbers, the real success in streaming is growing a community that you enjoy spending your time with. And that's, you know, that's the most important aspect. And if you treat them as, um, I mean, if you, if you're just treating them as numbers, I think you, maybe your mind is in the wrong place or your sort of like priorities are a little skewed. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's not necessarily at the fault of, of the person that's, uh, that's experiencing this, right? It's, it's what, uh, social media ingrains in people with, with these, uh, you know, you know, if you've got a high follow account, you know, you you can do this, you can get verified, you know, and that's, that's a sort of, um, you know, the opportunity is there to do it for sure. Like, don't get me wrong. There's, there's nothing wrong with, uh, taking that opportunity when the time comes, but the uh, you know uh, that's the reason i have the view count turned off because i didn't want to treat people like a number in the end you know i wanted to people wanted to talk to me you know they they come in they take the time to say hello to me i want to be able to learn about them and their day and you know and uh, i've met as i say i've met many friends from it um so it's uh you, you know it's super important to to for me to just that it's not important about the view the view count in the end right if there's zero people sure <laughs> but, you know like in the end of the day that i'm in it for the community side of things so if there was zero people uh i think i might start to get a little bit worried but you know uh, it, it's the sort of thing whereby you know the the more you if you treat everybody the same whether or not there's a thousand people there or there's 20 people there you know i think that that's that's better and that is going to actually grow the community more than if you're just always up when the, the views are up and you're down when the views are down i also uh, don't have uh, the viewer visible um I, I turn it off as well just interested in your thoughts on it and because similar thoughts of the only like obviously there are, there are many cases where we sort of talk to ourselves <laughs> uh but uh on all the other cases, the only people we're interacting are people who are chatting. So even if you have 20, 30, 40, uh, insert number, um, watching, it's only sort of the people who are messaging within that chat who that matters the wrong word, uh, but I think you know what I mean in terms of they are the focus. Yeah, I mean, so the conversation, like the people that are talking there are really the... Um you know you're not getting interaction out of a lurker right right and that's that's um you know the the actual engagement from um or the chat engagement that you get is is obviously only ever going to be from those that want to talk yeah 
So that's not relative to the view count at all. The last thing I want to ask is sort of random, but I I, ha- I had to fa- ask about context and then we'll move in- into some quick questions to finish. Okay. It's a clip I, I, I found whilst doing research for this of... Oh, God. Downing a drink from a shoe. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, there. Yeah. That's from the charity stream. Okay, so... Yeah, so a shoey is an Australian thing. So it's a, uh, essentially you pour your drink into a shoe and drink it, like scull it out of a... So like uh, you have to drink the whole drink out of the shoe, like pretty much. And yeah, it's it was uh, it was the first... It was the first incentive of the uh, of the charity incentives from memory, or it was the, it was the first or second. I think it was. I think maybe like the first like hundred dollars or something like that was like I gifted a five pack or a ten pack of subs to chat, and then I think at two hundred dollars or something, it was the shoey, which is a, 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 a traditional Australian uh, ritual whereby you drink the alcoholic drink from via a shoe <laughs> <laughs> but um people love that for some reason i i could uh, i didn't <laughs> it was um but even though it was a new shoe as well like uh because uh the shoes i wear like are uh, like these i just have these nike ones with like a mesh top and the the drink would have just come, come out <laughs> of the mesh top so like i uh i, I was like oh you know like i have to buy some some new shoe for for this and it was the most it just added this real, real weird taste probably of uh because i just pulled it off a shelf at the uh at the store so god knows how many people have tried this shoe on before i uh <laughs> before i drank a drink out of it so yeah the things we do for charity but you know look it was funny at least I find it funny. I've had the this like same reaction off a couple of guests when I've, when I've started the started the question like that. So I, I saw on a clip, and it's always been oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, what, yeah. What? It's, uh, I wondered because like there's a lot of clips that don't exist anymore because of uh, you know the whole DMCA thing. But um, and I didn't save any of them in the end. That which is kind of sad because like there's a ton of clips of like old things like. My first Deathless run of DS3 is gone because of the DMCA and everything along those lines. And I really didn't want to lose my Twitch channel, you know? So it was sort of like, sort of like that. But yeah, it's, uh, I was, I was thinking like there's some, uh, some real embarrassing clips that, that went and I'm kind of glad, <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, oh God, what have you found? <laughs> if one game could be released tomorrow, either an announced, unannounced or a sequel to a game you don't think is going to ever exist. What game would it be? Uh, well, I mean, having played a tiny bit of Elden Ring, um, that's probably my obvious choice. Um, but the like, if I could have Elden Ring tomorrow and it was done, sweet. <laughs> you know, I'd love to play it. It's I, I I can't stop thinking about about it because it was so good. But um, if I was to talk about um, anything, I'd like to see. Just thinking, like I would love to see the Metal Gear series come back with something that was. That was good. I feel like the uh, ever since Hideo Kojima left Konami, um, like he Metal Gear Solid Five is you know infamously unfinished. You get to a certain point in the game and it just doesn't get resolved 
for it, basically, which is interesting. The And then they released Metal Gear Survive, which was just terrible. For, you know, it's just a cash grab, really. So I'd love to see something from the Metal Gear series. Um, I'd love to, to be, a lot of people want remakes of Metal Gear Solid 1 or, or something like that in like a new, you know, like a modern thing, sort of like Blue Point's Demon Souls, right? But for me, it's sort of, you know, I'm, I like the new experiences where possible, so I'd love to see like a a new Metal Gear game that's somewhere in the timeline that we haven't explored yet because there's so many such convoluted convoluted story. You know, for me, if I if there was something that was unannounced that I wanted to see, probably be that. That would that would probably be my my next thing along, I guess. Also, Bloodborne Cart, obviously. Oh, so. of course. That's <laughs> a bit of a, a variation on that, just because we started with retro games uh, at the start. If one game that could be remastered, remade, or uh, just updated with modern graphics, what game would it be? I'd love to see. I'd love to see the uh, maybe like maybe I'd love to see like maybe the the N sixty four Zelda's as um you know in like a modern style maybe similar to breath of the wild that would be cool um because of the atmosphere of the game as i mentioned metal gear solid one uh was would also be another one that would be really cool I'm trying to think if there's any others obviously we've seen crash bandicoot uh re-released in the modern era and it was it was pretty good the um I'm trying to think what did i play when i was younger that i would otherwise would want re-released I think that would probably be it. I'd say the Zelda games for me. Um, I've played the 3DS versions, and I mean, it's 3DS, so, you know, even though it's higher resolution than the N64, it's still on a tiny screen. So that for me is sort of like being able to play that in like a fully-fledged remake that's like you know got the got the whole thing would be cool but at the same time i i often think to myself you know do i does this offer me the same sort of nostalgia like feeling like do there's a, there's a lot of room for devs to sort of not capture that same feeling you know like that's the danger i feel of, of re-releasing something that especially when you get to that that sort of age you know something that you sort of accept its faults for the time whereas the um you know if, if a game comes out uh, this is you know just going back to demon souls uh, the blue point remake of demon souls on ps5 i feel like people were a little disappointed that they kept the mechanics all the same as the 2009 release because, you know, the combat system of Dark Souls 3 was probably the newest sort of Souls combat system at that point um, when, when Demon Souls was re-released. Was, was re and, you know, the graphics were polished and everything looked amazing and it was this stunning showpiece for the PS5. And then he had the, you know, the the AI and and wonkiness of a PS3 first attempt at a Souls title, you know, sort of bolted on. Like the graphics are sort of bolted onto that experience. So even though, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. I feel like that they didn't modernize the experience enough and that that maybe is nostalgic for some people, but, you know, I think that for there are a number of other people that feel like, you know, it could have probably been improved um you know to sort of feel more polished and like the modern experience that we're used to with some of the newer games whereas if you go back and play the play the ps3 version of demon souls it's like the graphics sort of suit the, the jankiness to the gameplay uh, if that makes sense and you sort of accept it for what it is whereas the new one it's sort of like uh you know <laughs> and that sort of thing like it's it's like oh, i really wish they had improved this part you know because the graphics look so good it's made me think this might be it might be an easy question but it also might be quite a harsh question <laughs> 
if on the 25th of February, when Elden Ring comes out, if Breath of the Wild sequel was released on that same day too, which game would you go for first? Elden Ring. It's no question. Okay. Um, the, uh, so the, 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 the difference is, is that, so the sequel to Breath of the Wild, to me, like it's exciting, but there's, there's obviously the sort of like prequel that they release, which is, um, oh, the Hyrule, the, the Hyrule Warriors. Um, yeah. So the, um, I forget exactly what it is. Age of Calamity. That's right. And despite how much I love Breath of the Wild, that game didn't really appeal to me that much and no doubt i'm going to play the sequel to breath of the wild but i can tell you now like elden ring felt like breath of the wild but turned up to 10 like i feel like they they did so much and also the story for for me of elden ring it's so much more mysterious to me than breath of the wild because it's a new ip we don't know what's going on there's obviously tons that they haven't shown that's going to happen right like like i feel like there is there's twists and stuff in there that just simply won't um you know we won't have seen anything of in any previews or anything along those lines right win appearing and uh <laughs> yeah exactly so it's you know there's 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 sort of there's a lot there which you know feels really like like really like like i want to know what what's actually going on here and i know i'm going to spend more time in the game but then the sequel to breath of the wild you know it's sort of like i understand that there's mystery there but you know it's fairly clear from the trailers that ganondorf is there we didn't actually win at the end of Breath of the Wild. Spoiler alert! <laughs> you know, um, you know the Dark Beast Ganon fight was potentially underwhelming for a reason, and I get that. But like, I sort of know what to expect of, Bre of Breath of the Wild sequel. Whereas with with Elden Ring, you know, I'm offered this PC experience with you know these gorgeous sort of like uh, vistas of 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 you know of of life, but also of danger and the difficulty and you know, I feel I feel like Zelda is sort of like the, the Breath of the Wild is like a light, almost like a light, easy version of that. Um, now, having played a bit of Elden Ring, so yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to both, and I play them both. But I know that you know when the original Breath of the Wild came out, it was sort of the same date as Horizon Zero Dawn, and I wanted to play both of those and. I played Breath of the Wild and then I tried to play Horizon a little bit and I just had to give myself some space between the two because I was just too engrossed in Breath of the Wild and expected too much out of Horizon at that point. Um, and I feel like the same thing would probably happen with Elden Ring and Breath of the Wild sequel. I think I would be expecting more from, say, the combat system of Breath of the Wild, which I'm probably not going to get. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, it's uh, the because it's it's Zelda and it's not Hidetaka Miyazaki's uh, craziness. So yeah. and and all that. So yeah, I mean, definitely a tough question because I would want to get into both. But look, I mean, uh, my my uh, my interest firmly planted in Elden Ring at the moment. And I think it should be fine anyway because they haven't even released the name of um, the Legend of Zelda. Yeah, so I think exactly. it'll be much, much later in the year. <laughs> Yeah, look, and I mean, it's it's going to be fine. I think it's going to be a long game. Not to say that I don't think Elden Ring is going to be long. I think that Zelda will probably be longer overall. Um, but, you know, like I sort of, my interest is uh, when they announced the sequel to Breath of the Wild was the same day they announced Elden Ring um, at E3, right? That's oh, yeah, literally, yeah. A, it was the same day they announced it. And I didn't even care about Dark Souls at all. I didn't even know what Elden Ring was when they announced them both. So I was so excited for the sequel of Breath of the Wild. I was like, what's this Elden Ring? Who cares? 
Um, anyway, here we are, <laughs> you know, two or three years later or whatever. I think it was the 20, it was 2019 E3, I think. So two and a half years ago. And yeah, now we're in this position where, you know, I couldn't be more excited for Elden Ring and Zelda. I'm just kind of like, yeah, when it comes out, I'll play it, you know, sort of thing. If I said most hyped or celebrated moment on stream, what would be the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, the, the no hit run of Dark Souls 3 no doubt it was such a an overwhelming moment relief and just you know happiness and joy and you know in the community sort of all sort of there you know everybody that i'm friends with you know was there to uh there to sort of celebrate this moment with me and you know after as i said six or seven times of um of getting there without getting the run you know i sort of it was just um it was a moment in time that I really will never forget. It was really a, a turning point for me and in, in that I was a, I, was, I knew I could finally do it. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was, um, I finally got to say the words, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole, uh, the tradition of sort of, uh, of say, saying the whole game name and then no hit run and sort of just being like being able to sort of, it's almost like that Eureka moment, right? In science, it's sort of, uh, it's, it's very, uh, it was, it was sort of overwhelming in that, in that respect, but there was, it was easily the most hyped moment for sure. Right. Uh, it's, uh, it's, there's the, even any, anything that's come after that each time you get a, like a new no hit run for sure. It's, you get that wave, but I don't know if uh, the only time I think that the only thing that would necessarily beat that first one is probably when you move on to marathon. I guess that, like, I feel like people get super excited when you get an, another run, and that's cool. But I feel like the you know when you start adding games, like for example, if I if I was to do the trilogy, Dark Souls trilogy, one, two, and three, I feel like at the end of that, it's like oh, he's on game three now. You know, it's like the community sort of starts to rumble a little bit. People, you know, people hear about it and sort of more people come in and, you know, the, I feel like that wave may actually sort of, you know, sort of the, the people have more warning for it as well. You know what I mean? It's sometimes it's like, you, you know, when you're in an any percent run, it's like, oh, you know, oh, you've got, you know, True's got two more splits. Um, and it's nowhere, like, yeah, okay, maybe, yeah, you get like a couple of, couple more people get in. Whereas like if you're getting close and it's like, oh, I'm getting to get, you know, you've gotten to game three, like a couple of times in the last couple of days, it's like, oh, it's going to game three now, you know, it's, uh, you know, more people come in and, sort of tie onto that so i feel like that would probably be the next step for where i feel like that emotion would would be there however i think if there was an opportunity at a world's first on elden ring that also might be a big moment right like that's um that might also garner some attention and where it might be uh, a, a big thing you know what i mean and my final question is what's in the future plans of true sound well, uh, as I mentioned this year, I, I was really focused on hopefully going from, you know, I wanted to, at the beginning of the year, I had not done the SL1 or all base game bosses yet, I believe. I was still trying to do those. I think I got them earlier in the year. Yeah. So this year I was able to get the SL1 run, the all base game bosses. I was also able to get uh, Dark Souls 2, Bloodborne done of the any percents on those runs. Now working on Sekiro. Um, taking quite a bit of a break because I, and so I was the, the aim for this year was to get Sekiro, Demon Souls, and then maybe Dark Souls 3 all bosses uh, plus DLC. I'm hoping just to get Sekiro done really by the end of the year and then probably move into DS3 again at that point. I think I'll probably wait on Demon Souls because I feel like I feel like Dark Souls 3 probably be the the best 
to sort of get prepared for the mechanics of, it, of Elden Ring. Obviously, Elden Ring in February. We're going to spend a lot of time on Elden Ring next year. Um, and then I think at that point, I may either go for Demon Souls and um, or the trilogy, right? Go, get Dark Souls 1 done and then try and get 1, 2, and 3 back to back, maybe. But um, yeah, there's that. And then that's on the streaming side. And then, as I said earlier, I want to start putting more effort into into YouTube and learning how to... Um, you know, make make content that's better short form for people and, you know, something people can look forward to in that regard. Really, that's those are those are my sort of goals at the moment. And if people want to check you out, where would they be looking? Literally true sound, T-R-U-S Zero U N D anywhere that you can find social media most of the time. Um so Twitter. I have Instagram I don't use, but YouTube, Twitch. Uh really I'm on uh, Twitter, YouTube and and Twitch. The uh, Twitch primer is my primary platform. Yeah, but just yeah, just true sound everywhere. Lovely. True, I really appreciate the time man. Uh, I've enjoyed this conversation a lot. I hope you've enjoyed it as well, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh so much and uh, we took This is a long one, man. Yeah. <laughs> Two, two hours and 40 minutes hopefully it's uh, not too long <laughs> it's all good uh i hope everyone listening has enjoyed it as well i hope you have a great rest of your day and shall catch you in the next episode if you enjoyed this conversation and want to hear more with amazing guests be sure to head over to youtube.com slash wave loki loki spelled with a c or wave loki.com slash no hit podcast